0: Hello and welcome to the Geek's Codex, with a slightly sore-throated riggy trying to get through a, what is an entirely vocal outing with a bad throat. So, good luck me. Uh, as usual, I'm joined by the ever-present Paul Stevens. Uh, hello there. And I'm also joined by the effervescent James Kirk.
1: Now that's a description that I like. I approve of this. Well done. Yeah, you
0: see what there? I there? was in that one. <laughs> <laughs> So we're back to give you more geek shite that we're into this week. So we're going to start with some of the uh, smaller rounds of news that we've got. Um, first up, because we were just talking about it before we hit the record button on this. Uh, yeah, what the fuck's going on with uh, with the Epic Game Store and poaching uh, Metro Exodus?
2: Uh, that's It's amazing, considering that Steam had been promoting this game for like a <laughs> year. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I got to admit, when I saw that news, I just gave a slow clap. Like, well done.
2: <laughs> if you're going to be a D-bag, be a massive D-bag.
1: But also, it's like, you know what? Steam is a D-bag all the time. They can't have a monopoly on being a D-bag. That's they true. all get to be equally douchebaggy. And but I think that's beautiful.
0: I think the thing that bothers, I mean, I am. I feel like I'm on the other side of my opinion. I think it's a, it's a horrible move. And I think it's a dick move from Deep Silver. It is Deep Silver, isn't it? Uh, or is it one of the other ones? Is not it there. Tension?
2: Who, oh, no, Deep Silver said Deep Silver. They're the ones publishing it, right? Yeah, Deep yeah. Silver and Nordic have basically been Nordic says it's nothing to do with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Deep Silver said they said it's all Deep Silver's fault, and then basically Tension, who basically pretty much own like own about a third of Epic or something like that, and there there's been a
0: case of we want that Steam money, but it must mm-hmm. have been it must have been Epic with a shit ton of money on that one because it's it's. I mean, as of time of recording this, we're less than two weeks out from that game going live. It's already had pre-orders. The boxed copies that are going to physical stores already contain Steam codes, Mm -hmm. which will no longer be viable. I don't know how they're going to handle that in terms of... But Steam have said they will Mm honour the pre-orders and the codes, but everything after that point is going to be going through the Epic store, so it must have been an upfront payment from Epic to make this happen. Mm -hmm. And... A lot of people I see online, and I think that I have a very strong opinion. I think they're very wrong about this. Someone said, like, "Oh, it's healthy competition." Yeah. This is not a competition. This is this is not competition in the slightest. If they were offering a similar service and they also had Metro Exodus and they could be competitive on prices, then we'd actually have something for Steam to be worried about. This is a year-long exclusivity deal, which, if anything, uh, is going to really kill sales for the end product for Metro. I was half interested in Metro Exodus, but I, I am not interested in having yet another goddamn launcher on my, on my PC to play games from. People say, oh, you've got RAM and stuff, for you could load all these up, you can move between them. I'm already sick of the fact that I've got Battle.net set up for Warcraft and Overwatch. That I've got... Uh, Origin had to be set up for Mass Effect, which we'll get to later. <sighs> but that's already three launchers I'm using, including the fact that I sometimes feel guilty and I will load up GOG. To play The Witcher 3, because I'm like, yeah, God does deserve some of my attention. But even then, God Galaxy is like, I just want to buy it through Steam and keep it on my Steam library.
1: So I have I have very conflicted opinions on this. In principle, I mean, you know this, Briggy, I am in favour in general of the healthy competition thing. But I do think that this is like the worst possible way to do it. For example, you look at something like Epic. I mean, I have the Epic launcher because they had Hades as an exclusive. And that was done in a way that was very sort of sensible. It was just a matter of the game was announced and it was announced as an exclusive. Whereas doing it so close to the launch, I do agree, is very, not just unprofessional, but also bad for the end product. And I think it really does, especially since it won't be the developers who got to make the decision on this. Mm -hmm. This is a situation that will screw over the developers at the behest of what was probably the publisher. It's not going to be the people who worked on this game oh no and i do also think like i generally think launches are bad for me it's not having too many launches i just don't like launches i want us to go back to just having games on our pcs i'm old (laughs) but uh, and also i just think launches lock you in in a way that's very frustrating i think it locks you into proprietary platforms that we don't need at present we don't like the thing is gog works great without the launcher like you can just buy and download games. Yeah, that's great. GOG never needed a launcher, and I hate that they gave in to that. I understand why they did it, but I hate that they did. So for me, it's the situation where on the one hand, I'm very sick and tired of Steam having a monopoly, and they don't really have a monopoly anymore, but they, they're kind of coming out of that. And I want to see that healthy competition. But on the other hand, I don't want to see game developers and people who make the end products getting screwed over for the sake of really dodgy exclusivity deals like this.
0: I'm, I'm actually of the opinion that I think people... Publishers creating their own launching platform like Battle.net, like the Bethesda launcher, um, I mean, you can name them, Origin. Every time a publisher creates another platform and then keeps their games exclusive to their own platform on PC, that has been the worst thing to happen to PC gaming. It's terrible. It splits the player bases for these things to have to move between different launchers. It means that the smaller... Um, set of games per launcher leads to a higher risk of any sort of bankruptcy or problem monetarily with those companies, leading to a higher chance that my digital purchases at some point will no longer be available to me. Steam does not have that problem. Steam has all the money in the world. If I buy a game on Steam, there's a 99% chance that in another 50 years I will still have that game on Steam. Because I still... Because even games that aren't available to purchase through Steam anymore are still available to download through Steam if you bought them when they were available. For
1: now. Mm. But I'm, other... I'm just not. It's big... always
0: within Steam's best best interest to make those things I available. I am just too. not
1: big on digital only. I do not like the move towards digital.
2: I, I do think that one of the funniest things about the whole Epic situation is, is Epic are only in the situation because of Fortnite. Yeah. Um, Fortnite being so popular has basically allowed them to. Spending look, those V-Bucks. Yeah. Has <laughs> allowed them to go, okay, now that we are a, a de facto install base for this, we can just re-overhaul it and make it so that we then take the rest of that Steam
0: money. Have you used their launcher? Yes. You around, cause that's the thing that bothers me the most about this, is now that it's getting all this attention, especially from this piece of news now, a lot of people have highlighted there's many problems with the Epic Store. Oh, yeah. There's no cloud saves. Mm-hmm. There are no communities. There's no v- reviews. Things that Steam have spent, that Valve is, in general, has spent years, over a decade at this point, decades, plural, maybe, mm-hmm. we might be at that point, like improving on and creating this... And, and say what you will, like, people seem to dislike Steam... I'm not saying this is you specifically, James, but there's people online that i have read comments on. that seem to just... This like, this, like Steam valve, because they're successful, which is a very fucking hipster thing to do. Yeah. But They're successful for a reason. They have a fantastic online store to buy from. It is convenient. Yes. And that's what is important. It's the most convenient.
1: I, the one thing I will say, though, their search is awful.
2: And this is the other thing, is all this competition, as much as what Epic did was just an awful move... Does highlight also the way in which Steam has suddenly had to react to other players in the game. Things like the overhaul of the friends system that they've had to introduce mm. to make it more competitive with things like um Discord, for example. Exactly. I mean
1: Discord has a game store yeah. now, which is weird.
0: Again, another goddamn game store.
1: Okay, but we as all already Twitch. had Discord. <laughs> as does <as> Twitch. <laughs> yeah. I, I
0: have games on there that uh, oh. gave me a Twitch Prime, but I'll never play them because I'm not installing another goddamn launcher.
2: <laughs> but you might. Nope. And then you'll spend money on Twitch Prime. Uh...
0: I already have Twitch Prime. Yeah, but, but you'll spend more money No, on... no, I won't. there we go, because I got Amazon Prime.
1: But um, I, I, for me, again, the issue isn't so much with Steam specifically. It's one with the launcher model. I don't like the launcher model. I don't even like that we are so heavily reliant on digital-only releases. It concerns me. It concerns me for all media. Um, it concerns me for media preservation. It concerns me in terms of having ownership over games. It concerns me in the sense that it completely eliminates the second-hand market, which I really do not like. But also it's a situation where it's like, I I appreciate that you don't necessarily want to get substandard service that you get forced into because people refuse to put things on Steam. But I also don't want it to ever be a situation where even if Steam is absolutely objectively the best and they have the most money and they're the most developed, I don't like the idea that there's only one place to get your games from.
2: I think the other irony there is is the fact that Steam essentially is still just uh, like an overlay for Windows. And much as you can play their, their games on Linux and you can on uh, Macs as well, it is a case of Windows themselves. Everyone is competing with that same model of who can sell you that content.
0: Steam has a client for every major OS. They have their own OS. And they have their own OS. And, and the games, bad, not actually. just not just their games, but games that have multiple releases have them through Steam and you can automatically order it by that. Yeah, That is, I remember 10 years ago, if not, Maybe, maybe longer than 10 years ago, first time I was messing with Ubuntu, way back in the day, and the effort of getting anything to run, including Steam through Wine, was a pain in the ass. Now, I have Linux installs, as well as Windows installs, and ordering things through the Linux Steam client, and knowing, like, oh yeah, this will work on Linux, I can just sit and play this now. The convenience, it's all about convenience. But that's what Less I mean, time man. between me and playing a game is better. Less, but, less things I have to do and mess about with, and just any level of faff, gone that's what i want
2: but that's the thing with the the whole steam situation is is essentially they've they've put all that effort in and they've been they've developed they've developed things in just odd ways like mm-hmm. as much as we personally have like enjoyed getting involved with vr vr as a concept in terms of how it's been like developed and gone through they're all over the place steam and the the relationship they have with htc at the moment is literally completely in shambles because even htc have their own game store, uh-huh. which no one uses. <laughs> you might have the subscription to Vibe port. I think they, gave, <laughs> I think
0: they like, gave away the Everest experience at one point, and I was just like, oh, cool, how do I put that on Steam? And they're like, oh no, it's, it's through the the H the Vibe store. And I was like, I did not want to play it anyway. <laughs>
2: <laughs> did you not play the one where you're on a plank and you walk out of an elevator?
0: No, I didn't. Yeah, I probably should. It worked great. Okay, fair enough, I won't bother um, with it. Yeah. No, because you know what is on Steam? Beat Saber. <laughs> we don't need any more VR games. We're done with VR now. We, uh, have, we have got the pinnacle of VR games. Uh no. We'll no. not go on that tangent. We'll talk about Beat Saber in a future date. But yeah, that's I think I'm, in, I'm we'll about, it in a previous we'll episode, Talk anyway. about
1: how many times I have nearly injured myself <coughs> playing that game. Briggie's yeah. dying over here, but Beat the way.
0: Saber's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I was just getting over excited about Beat Saber. <laughs>
1: that's understandable. It's a very so, good video game.
0: But just bring us back on point, like I'm I'm not buying Metro Exodus. Not now. It'll be like when the year's exclusivity is over and then when a Steam sale hits. Because again, who cares about the second-hand market when Steam sales are a thing?
2: Yeah, but then we also get the issue we have currently now where we have back catalogs that we just don't touch.
0: Oh, not to mention... Uh, oh, yeah, that's true. And also there's the Hummer Bundle store and then there's the... Which I forgot until recently existed and I'm so glad that I remembered, like Green Man Gaming. Mm. Like I got the deluxe... I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Resident Evil 2 later in the show, but I bought the deluxe edition of Resident Evil 2 because I wanted the... Uh, nostalgic stuff like the old costumes and the well the old costumes are already in there but the extra DLC and the original soundtrack and it was 20 something pounds cheaper to buy through Green Man Gaming for the same Steam key than through Steam Yeah, and I was like yeah that's competition (laughs) yeah I will pay Green Man Gaming less money for that same product and I'll enable it on Steam where it goes with all my other things
1: (laughs) I think the thing is I really really want to see like a diversity of options for these kinds of things in the Sort of market, and I want there to never be a situation where you feel as though you're pushed towards one or the other. You but literally I also, want the opposite of me. But I also don't want us to have to sacrifice like quality or good business practice to get there. And I think that the issue with Epic is, sure, it offers a good like as competition, but it also compromises enormously on quality because they can get away with it. And I don't want to see that.
0: Now, I want a opposite I want one program to rule them all. One launching platform. Put. You can put have, fortnite on Steam so I can ignore it in two is, places
1: here is the thing though you can have a situation where you as an individual can just have the one platform without the market only having one option yeah. you can have it so that you can personally get everything on Steam and still have it so that there are other options out there
0: yeah we can do that that's still what I, use I want to other see. options but
2: or, or if you're just playing consoles
0: <laughs> yeah like there's only one Nintendo eShop I don't have to worry about this not true
1: Humble bundle now sells Nintendo games.
0: Yeah, but they still only have one eShop. You can't visit Hummer Bundle from a Switch.
1: There's a web browser, isn't there?
0: No, that's a um, hack. <laughs> that's a hack, yeah. Fair
1: enough. I, I, the only thing that I used my Switch for was Breath of the Wild, so... <laughs> Nintendo games were so expensive.
0: And so, so good.
1: Oh, I mean, I don't regret buying it to be a Breath of the Wild machine. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, I think we're all in agreement. Is that it's a fucky move, and long live Gaben.
1: <laughs> we all have very different opinions, but we can all agree. What the fuck?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a dumbass move. Uh, what was the other news? The
2: oh, it's uh, a new dawn for the Batman franchise. In that we're going to have a Batman without. Oh, I'm going to do it wrong again. <laughs> ben, I'm going to say Ben flick again. No, <laughs> <laughs> Bat flick. <laughs> Ben Flick. Ben Flick. There you go, that's what I said. That's what you said
0: originally. A swarm
1: of Bens came into his room at night and scared him, and he thought, I shall become a Ben.
0: (laughs) So so oddly enough, I actually don't, know too much about this news uh even though it's batman related so i won't be leading this one but it's about the new batman movie which i'm assuming is still called the batman it is yeah and so it's, and it's no longer gonna have i'm pretty sure we knew as so well about that affleck was out as batman and we we're getting a new one
1: what it was for a while there we weren't sure it was still happening mm. so what they did was they confirmed that it was still happening they've said 100 it's in pre-production it is happening but then at the same time I believe it's changed pre-production hands since then behind the scenes so a lot of people were thinking well are they are they still going to go ahead with like a different actor playing Batman so they were basically reconfirming yes we're making this movie I believe it's roughly slated for a 2021 release Somehow and not, yeah. while they haven't confirmed casting they have confirmed that it's not Ben Affleck
0: this makes me sad because the, uh, the one thing I wanted to see out of the change up at DC and Snyder no longer working on these movies was hopefully going to be a costume redesign because I think personally Ben Affleck like is the best and closest actor we will ever have to comic book Bruce Wayne and comic book Batman if he's given the right material to work with. I think the costume that they use in, in the last couple of movies that had Affleck as Batman in there, it's too close to The Dark Knight Rises. Oh, it's God, too yes. close to the Frank Miller art style. He looks overweight in that suit when you can clearly see in shots where he's working out as Bruce Wayne. But he's, he is he's not. Hench. Yeah. So. so like just the, the decision for that costume was bad. The writing was bad. Everything everything's been too close to Dark Knight Returns. It's because Snyder wanted to just fillate the fanboys with a shitty fanfic of the Dark Knight Returns, which we don't want. We want Hush. We want a Hush.
2: So in terms of like I know you you were a fan yeah. of Ben Flick, bafflick
0: <laughs> It's a shame because I think if we ever got him in a perfect scenario, we would have had a really good Batman and it's a shame that we won't get that now and he's been so slated because of the other people involved with the production.
2: But this is the thing is, is obviously they're going to get a replacement in. Yeah. And I think there's like, as much as he might have not been my ideal choice, there are a million worse choices that they can make now. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> because I am waiting for them to turn around and go, okay, so we need someone who's like a, a good fighter. Zac Efron.
0: <laughs> Zach Efron
2: would be an amazing
0: Batman. Too young. Please. He'd be a great Nightwing. Yes. But Yes, two actually. Give, oh, give, yeah. give him ten twenty Make years. <laughs> give him ten twenty no, years no, no, no. and Zach Efron would be a great Batman.
1: No, we don't want that one. Now we want the Nightwing one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean Give him 10 to 20 years of being Nightwing. <laughs> there you go. Yeah,
2: yeah, Um, but like people like Mark Wahlberg, for example, or
1: I'm leaving this room.
2: John Cena. John Cena's Batman. <laughs> No, I would
1: watch that.
0: You suddenly I don't
1: think I'd be mad. <laughs> After seeing Bumblebee, I'd fucking watch that.
0: <laughs> so you wouldn't be able to see him anyway. So. Uh, but, um, <laughs> he'd be the perfect Dark Knight. <laughs> Stealth like none other.
1: As, uh, one thing that I will say I is... I don't want to see
0: Batman do that you can't see me now. <laughs> one thing I
1: will say is, while I'm somewhat mixed on Ben Affleck's performance as a whole, I think there's stuff that he did really well, even with the shitty material he had, and I think there's some stuff that didn't land for me. Um, I will say I really liked that they just were like, okay, so Batman's not like at the beginning of his career, like he's an older Batman. Mm. And I'm kind of like, oh God, they're going to recast him and do like the origin story again. He's going to be younger. Whereas I really liked the idea of us like just starting out, like everybody knows Batman's origin story. He gets to be a bit older. Mm. And so I'm kind of like, I'd like to see, and I know that they won't, but I'd like to see them cast somebody of similar age and play it off in a similar way. Just... Better this time because I saw Batman versus Superman in cinemas and I've never regretted anything more in my life. But um, And then the other thing I, that always struck me is, listen, in 20 years or so, 15, 20 years, we'll just get Ben Affleck back and do a Batman Beyond movie. And he can be old man, Bruce. It's perfect.
0: Yeah, I want Ben Affleck now as an actual decent Bruce, but we'll never get it. It's a shame. I was, I, well, sorry,
1: go oh, sorry.
2: I was going to say, I've, as much as the, they keep doing all this, who's going to be Batman? Who's going to be Batman. Who's gonna who's gonna be the one who can replace him and bring the franchise in? I'm still thinking looking at things like the success of Aquaman, b- what looks amazing in terms of the new Shazam film, mm. it's really gonna have to step up its game to be like of a quality of the new I sets mean, of DC. It is, films.
0: it is solidifying that idea that when you take Snyder out of the loop, mm-hmm. we get a good DC because Wonder Woman was good, it's... Aquaman was good, the Shazam's probably gonna be good. Wonder
1: Woman eighty four looks great.
0: Um, well I'm not saying concept. it doesn't look great. I'm just saying it does sort of. I mean, I'm not. I wasn't a big one. Not. Not. I'm not a fan of Wonder Woman. I just character. like there is a period. Piece. I just know, mm. I just don't know Wonder Woman that well as her mythos. So to me, on the frame, I'm getting off topic, but on the face of it, '84 just looks like more of the same for Wonder Woman, which is not a it, bad thing. But
1: it looks a lot like a specific era of Wonder Woman comics that I really like, and it's often ignored. I haven't actually
0: seen any of the shots a lot of
1: the late '80s to mid '90s. If she death. got
0: the uh, the leather jacket.
1: I think there's a shot where she's wearing something yeah. very similar. She's got shoulder pads. But in, Yes, the costuming, it is an 80s period piece.
0: Everyone hated the shoulder pads.
1: And Wonder Woman <laughs> in the cool. 80s and early 90s was just batshit fucking insane yeah. in like the best way. And they're really leaning into that. And I'm really looking forward to it. One thing I will say is my ideal Batman film would be them keeping the idea that was originally pitched of it being more of a detective film than an action film. That wasn't <laughs> the original pitch. Oh, I, that's the first pitch that I heard. From oh, no, the, the
0: original one. pitch for The Batman was... Um, have you ever seen The Raid? No. Okay, it's a, a co- Korean yeah. movie? I, I might be wrong. Philippine? No, I'm
2: pretty sure it's Korean.
0: Great. But maybe movie with a um, SWAT force, or whatever their equivalent is, breaking into a uh, tower block and working the way up oh to yeah to yeah the Where Arkham just, Asylum whereas Arkham was, where's Batman, the Batman was going to be the raid but he gets in the top and goes down Right. Okay. I was like just 90 minutes of br- okay. 90 minutes of Ben Affleck as Batman doing the warehouse scene from Batman vs Superman no. which is the best thing they've ever made Ending with no, him finding the Joker no. in the bottom. The problem
2: with that is is they made Judge Dredd. <laughs> yeah. That
0: was a good film. There's and reasonable. then no one saw it. That's true, yeah. <laughs> but, okay. Yeah, because Dredd well, is just the comic book version of The Raid. Right. Yes.
1: The version, okay, so the version that I'd like to see is whatever version of the pitch included the word detective movie, I'd like to see one where they like acknowledge that colour exists. Batman doesn't have to be black, white, grey and some muddy brown. Like yeah, neon, is. no, neon, noir.
0: No, the world around him can be different colours, but makes, he has to oh, be... Oh, yes.
1: What I mean is, I want it to be lit like John Wick, okay?
0: I mean, I've never seen John Wick. Oh, it's wow. very well it's lit. It's on the list. It's on the... Put it up the list. It's very yeah. close to the top of the list. It's a yeah. really good film.
1: But, um, and the lighting and... I've been and working through stuff, man. I'm getting The there. style and aesthetic of it is what I want Batman to be.
2: I was just about to say, you can't have Keanu Reeves as Batman. Yes, you can! And you can't. He's too thin. It's... Yeah... And also people would just go, this is John Wick in a suit.
1: see <laughs> less guns. Yeah. But, and the other thing that I want is I want a Batman that has like a sense of humour, like a dark sense of humour, a grim sense of humour, but a sense of fucking humour. Batman comics are often like sarcastically funny.
0: What's Goldberg up to these days? <laughs> what Whoopie. No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. She's Batman. That's it. We solved it. Hire no. me.
0: The wrestler.
2: Oh. oh yeah. No, not him. Yeah. Um, yeah. He'd be a good Batman. No. He would. Be great. No. no. Um, randomly you know who I definitely don't want Tom Cruise oh no course, no 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 no! I bet he would love to do that role but just don't no 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 because someone would go ah oh, Tom Cruise he brings in the money and you're like he doesn't anymore and they'd be like he does the action films and it's like yeah but not Batman please not
0: I don't like Tom Cruise as a person as a human being that I share this earth with Wow. I do however I don't either think that he's an actually good actor and might be able to pull it off I think
1: he's mediocre he's I, okay
2: I think ironically I think it would either be the best Batman
0: or the worst it Batman. would right. only
1: be an acceptable Batman if they went full Batman and Robin with it I mean, I'd sh- watch that
0: no shut have you, you watched uh, whatever they ended up eventually calling it Edge of Tomorrow Live Die Repeat yeah All You Need Is Kill whatever they end up calling it yeah he's fucking phenomenal in that movie it was a movie that reminded me went, oh yeah There's a reason he gets money, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) There's a reason he's batshit insane and still gets jobs. He's actually really fucking good at it. He is. I mean, you have to be genuinely talented to get away with being mental in Hollywood and still get work. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or you have to be in some sort of like group.
1: Some sort of cult that's really. Group. You have to be in some sort of like (laughs) support group that's really famous in Hollywood, especially. And a lot of your coworkers go. Mm. Yeah. Like maybe you meet up with Tr- John Travolta down there every now and again.
0: And Will Smith.
1: You know, maybe maybe yeah. at some point your wife divorced you over it or something. <laughs> <cult>. Which one?
0: <laughs> they're a cult. They're co-workers under less tax.
2: Okay, listen. <laughs> if, if they were a cult, and I'm not saying that they are. Listen, I'm definitely saying that they're not.
1: I know a lot about cults. They're a cult.
2: Okay. But if they were a cult and they were the kind of vindictive cult who'd go after podcast presenters... <laughs> On the basis of them being called a cop.
1: Then I would meet them head on, so don't worry. Okay,
2: by all means do so. I'm I'm not saying a cop. I I am
1: distancing myself. Fight me in the parking lot, Tom Cruise. (laughs) I've had a couple of glasses of wine, I'll fucking go.
2: I would not fight Tom Cruise. You don't care about me, I don't have any money. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but you have
1: a platform. So is he did gesture. Listen, Paul just gestured when he said that at the table. Can we just end the podcast here? Because that's just terrible. It is a platform. <laughs> I'm yeah. just gonna die.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, think of was, all
2: your collectibles. They could just come along and, right, and just. like...
1: <laughs> well,
0: I mean, if Tom Cruise became Batman, he'd probably let me leave, you know, keep him. Like, oh yeah, this, that's me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Do you think he actually has his own Batman suit? Do you think
0: he just has one? <laughs> I wouldn't want to it. I
1: think if he does, it's definitely made of rubber. Yeah.
0: He could have several. Who knows?
1: <laughs> One of every occasion.
0: Maybe we've got him really wrong, or maybe he's like a fan of some like much different b list Actually, you off. know
1: what? Oh
0: god, I've watched. I that. was going to say Animal Man, but you, you nailed it. <laughs> Actually, you know what?
1: Knowing what kind of person Tom Cruise is, he probably wanted to be Superman. Hmm. I can see that. Yeah. But, but like, not a good version of Superman. No,
0: nah, he could probably be a good version of Superman. Yeah. I mean, he'd have to stand on the crate. <laughs> 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 but yeah. Just
1: dig a hole. I like the idea of short. <laughs> I like the idea of short Superman. I like the idea that nobody thinks Clark Kent is Superman because they're just like, "Nah, no, he's too short." Yeah.
2: <laughs> Not that we're saying Tom Cruise is short.
0: Again, he can
1: fight me in the parking lot. I'm also Tom short. Cruise is
0: a short. Just Superman's really tall. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Really tall. Really what? tall. I mean, have you seen Henry Cavill? The only person taller than him is Ben Affleck. <laughs> oh I'm my God. That just reminds me of that one shot where they very they shot it on a very slight incline in BVS so that it didn't look as though Batman was taller than Superman. But you could totally tell that they just have a very slight incline. Oh
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because canonically they're meant to be the same height. Yeah. With Keep the it. same square jaw. So much so that, that Clark Kent can, can pass for Bruce Wayne.
2: In all those comics where it's a hilarious sort of... It's funny oh,
0: It's funny at least once. You <laughs>
2: shot Batman again and he survives somehow because he's bulletproof.
0: I know the best ones where they get mistaken for another when they don't know that they're meant to be on the same boat on a cruise as Bruce yes. Wayne and Clark Kent. Yes,
1: that's my favourite So issue. they try to
0: assassinate Bruce Wayne and the bullet bounces off and I was like, what the fuck? And it's like, Bruce Wayne's invincible! And he's just like, and then, I'm not Bruce Wayne.
1: <laughs> oh my God. And he's drunk as well. And there's, there's that bit earlier where like fucking... <laughs> Batman notices like Clark Kent getting in up, up on his business and they do, he doesn't know he's Superman yet and he tries to shoot a sleeping dart and then he just crumples up and then they just look at each other like, shit. And that's how they find out that they're Batman and Superman. It's a very good comic. I can't remember
0: which comic that was. It's but... Batman
1: um, slash Superman. It's the early 2000s run. It's
0: got cool art in it though. It's, mm-hmm. it's a good one.
1: It's the one with the Deadpool rip-off. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Iconic. Uh, We've gone very off topic. Yeah,
0: so bringing us back on topic... Uh... Uh, I'll, I'll suppose we'll just no segue. Let's we'll talk about Mass Effect. Yep. Yeah, we should have done it the other way around. I could have gone from Steam to Origin and Mass Effect. That would have okay. been Because I use both Steam and Origin in the last couple of weeks to play Mass Effect 1, 2, and
1: 3. Fucking Origin. Yeah,
2: so uh, Origin, uh, the best of EA's uh, current output.
0: <laughs> I don't even know what's on there anymore, man. It's my Mass Effect launcher. That's what it is.
2: Um, they've got thingy coming out, haven't they? Anthem. Yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, the thing they're making instead of Mass Effect because Andromeda sucks so badly. Yeah. Saying this is, before I even talk about the, the original trilogy, I've, I've played... Oh my God, it's a lot of time. I've played like 10 to 12 hours of Andromeda and I don't feel like anything's happened yet. It's bad. Which I can see that there's something good in... I mean, bear in mind, disclaimer, I bought it for £8 over Christmas. I'm like, it's got to be £8 worth of the game, right? I'm still not convinced that it is.
1: <laughs> no, it's not but, in my opinion.
0: Because Ryder is just just a shitty human being. I just can't stand him compared to... I mean, I, I playing and playing the male original <laughs> character, but male Ryder is just... They're he, both he shitty. Ain't, he ain't <laughs> Shep. But... Yeah, like nothing seems to have happened and it feels really weird, but I'm trying to enjoy Andromeda, but I've never encountered a game that can so reliably crash to desktop so often in what feels immediately before a save point,
1: mm-hmm. to the point where I'm like,
0: I am fucking done with this well, game. Well, you know
1: why? It's because not enough people bought it to justify patching it very much.
0: Yeah, well, I didn't want to talk too much about Andromeda because everyone knows it's garbage. It's still not worth eight quid, even though they sort of fixed it up a bit, but they didn't really. Uh, it's a shame because the storyline seems kind of cool. But I did mention this to someone this, I can't remember who I was talking to but this week my um, example was Mass Effect the original trilogy is Stargate SG-1. Mass Effect Andromeda should have been Stargate Atlantis. Instead it's Stargate Universe. That
1: is it. That is exactly yeah. it.
0: Yeah it's exactly Stargate Universe and I've got the first audio It got cut off early Andromeda. and everything. Well not just that I mean just the... Awfulness of throwing them to another location, and also- but having having a crew of people on the Nexus that don't get along and there's infighting and bullshit mm-hmm. politics, which is what ruins Stargate Universe. As opposed to Atlantis, where they got sent to another part of the, uh, to another galaxy and shit's fucked, but they're all military and they can get on with it and they actually start solving problems immediately. And that is what it should have been, but it isn't, storyline-wise. Uh, one of them's MacGyver. <laughs> yeah, and, and one of them's Aquaman.
1: And one thing that I would also say is that, like, Andromeda is extremely generic. It does e. not feel like a distinctive universe. It does not feel distinct from the original trilogy, nor does it feel distinct in it, like in the way that the original trilogy did. Like, I recognise things that come from Mass Effect as being Mass effect
0: E. It does and, have uh, my favourite Asari in it, though.
1: Which one is? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of
0: love PB. She's She's the only good part of the game. She's in the sorry, but clearly has ADHD, making her one of the best characters. Oh, she's awesome. (laughs) Uh, And they've got a passable Krogan. It's not Rex, but uh, nobody is Rex. He's alright. Rex is my favorite. Yeah, but everyone else is just kind of.
1: But anyway, just to catch people up at home, we're about to enter the hot take, and I'm making air quotes part because Briggy recently replayed through all of Mass Effect, and he has opinions on the Mass Effect three ending. Ten years too late.
0: Way, way back in 2012, um, I was on... I was a host for UK Otaku, Mm -hmm. which is a now defunct podcast. Um, I had a very memorable episode discussing Mass Effect 3 and its ending. And I don't think I've ever recorded anything in my life that angry before or since. And I really, really hated, like, around 2012 that ending to Mass Effect 3. Mm-hmm. So, for some reason, over the last couple of weeks, I don't know what sparked it in me, and it's weird because Tom started doing it at the exact same time but didn't keep playing it. We both ended up downloading and playing the first Mass Effect game without telling the other one that we'd done it. <laughs> we both, I was like, I'm just, I'm just playing Mass Effect, and I'm, I'm, I'm on Vermeer right now. He's like, you, what? I'm, I'm like on Noveria. I'm like, how have we started doing this in the same house without either of us knowing that we so were playing
1: mates.
0: it? <laughs> oh, yeah. I love Tom.
1: <laughs> I know you
0: do <laughs> but so yeah we started playing and I kept going because I installed um, there's a bunch of texture mods because obviously it's from 2007 so it looks like a 2007 Xbox 360 game you it looks like PC. a
1: 2005 Xbox 360 game
0: no it looked good in 2007 when it came out the
1: I, textures I, I, don't in my opinion
0: uh, no. yeah, we'll, we'll agree to disagree yeah but you can now use um, I use the Mass Effect uh, text uh, Some it's got a really weird long name but I there's know, another one that mean? I found that's actually called A Lot which stands for A Lot of Textures yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've been using those across the entire trilogy which has made it gorgeous along with a few uh, bug fixy things but mostly just textures I didn't mess with any of the major games didn't change any stuff um, entangled to the game but left it as they are just playing it with DLC you didn't Skyrim it <laughs> no, no. Otherwise, it, I would never have played it. Well, Mass Effect <laughs> is
1: Mass Effect is also just notoriously hard to mod as compared to like Dragon Age, for example.
0: Yeah. Well, the first game, playing Mass Effect One, still good. Can't fault that game. It's a bit, I mean, it's tighter and focused. There's not as so much world building going on because it, it, you know, all stuff came later. But it is, uh, as my Star Wars Niger goes, it's good because mm-hmm. it's the new hope of of Mass Effect.
1: And it has Rex in it.
0: It has Rex in it. It has my boy Garrus, who's the best character in the series. No Rexes. <laughs> Rex and Gareth well yeah they mm, Gareth gets higher billing for me I, like, I love Gareth he's great uh, he's the bros of bros um, but yeah that storyline is cool it sets up the Reapers really nicely Sovereign is uh, scary sounding motherfucker when you finally talk to him on, on Vermeyer when you're doing mm-hmm. the, the that mission the hold the line with Captain He that's all great so I mean I love going back and, uh, and re-going over this because I never played it in one long run uh, at all like when it came out I played it on the 360 because it wasn't on PC yet and then I played two and three on the PC. So I never had that save file. I had to, like, oh. scum a save file together from Mass Effect 2. And getting to Mass Effect 2, like, oh my god, I forgot how good that engine slowly gets at like the gameplay. Like, I love... I still love, even all these years later, the combat in Mass Effect 2. I love... I, I, I actually played through this, this version. Uh, I always played Soldier before, so I didn't really get to do much of the messing about. And now I played Vanguard. Or Mangard, as a told me to play.
3: <laughs> For anyone
0: that has to, wants to do this... Uh, Ready to tell me to do this. Uh, I played as a manguard, which is just a vanguard, but they have one singular mandate which is if you see an enemy, you must charge it.
1: Every single time. So that's how I
0: played the entirety of the trilogy this time, was like, charge enemies and melee them, and I had a fucking wonderful time doing it.
1: There are other ways to play Vanguard. I didn't even know that was a special way to play Vanguard. Apparently
0: that's what Reddit calls a manguard. I was like, okay, I'll play a Vanguard. So I had a good time doing that. Uh, So yeah, I could see even more, like, yeah, it's not aged particularly badly, the the combat in Mass Effect 2. Mass Effect 2 is still one of my all-time favourites, like, games of all time, not just in the series, but just Mass Effect 2 at the time it came out, I, I couldn't stop talking about it. It was fucking awesome I, I'm Commander Shepard this is my favourite star on the set that, it, that's great. Good it holds a
1: very special oh, place yeah. in my heart
0: Harbinger's cool Like there's so many great sci-fi moments built into it having the gone 10 years quests. since I last played it um, and having read more sci-fi as well like actually reading classic sci-fi literature and uh, I, people that know the source of I read know that I'm big into uh, AI especially malevolent AI I like, hmm, who'd have thought? <laughs> that stuff, all my hard drives upstairs on my computer are named after specific AI. <laughs> uh, I, might new, I might have to buy a new hard drive and call them Sovereign. Um, Assuming direct yeah. control. Or ED, maybe. But uh, yeah, the, there's a really cool stuff that I didn't spot the first time. Obviously, I didn't have all the DLC the first time I played it because I played it on launch. Now, for some reason, I just never went back to it. So all the DLC for one and two is free to download off of EA's like, help support site now. You don't have to pay for it. You just... Can use
1: it, and I think Mass Effect 2 had some really good DLC like the Kasumi DLC. The problem I had
0: this is the only road bump in the whole thing. I had to save Scum for Mass Effect 3 because I did a moving around a components in my computer for a new, uh, mm. new case, uh, installed everything on an SSD. Unfortunately. I Mass Effect 2 is too old that Steam doesn't have cloud saves for it. It was never. It, it was a game that was released before Steven, Steam. In, implemented cloud saves, mm-hmm. and so my saves were corrupted. Half my hard drive was corrupted. I had to do a bunch of cleaning out, so I lost my save. I started replaying Mass Effect 2, but because I'd done it like three days before, I was like, I can't, I can't go through this. i got, I'm, I was 16 hours in. Mm-hmm. I can't do even if was, like just leg it through it. So I saved some sca- save scummed using um, uh, the Gib save editor. Went through everything in, that, uh, in the raw file editor that they've got so I could make sure that every single decision I'd made, I could try and remember it from the games that mm-hmm. I got into.
1: I've done that. To make
0: it as accurate as possible. And then jumped into 3. This is where things get different. Cause I, I mean, I loved it before. I still love it again. I still think Mass Effect 1 and 2 are well worth your time for anyone that loves sci-fi games, for anyone that loves bioware games. Everything about that era, perfect. Can't fault it. 3. 2012. Played it the first time. Loved everything up until The Crucible. And dealing with the cat- Catalyst. And then the three flavoured endings that are literally the same. <laughs> the storyline, even before those three endings, doesn't make any fucking sense. There are holes all over it. Okay. Flash forward to this year. During, well, actually last year now. During Christmas, EA on Origin, doing a sale. Everything's like 50 50- to 75% off. I, I could buy all the DLC from Mass Effect 3 for under £5. I was mm-hmm. like... Yeah right. Let's get this on. Let's do this. Download everything. Install everything. Got all the texture mods running on it. Mass Effect Three. I'm in. I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, this engine was a leap from Mass Effect Two. Plays phenomenally well. I love the combat in it. So I'm playing through. Everything's fresh in my mind. Finally get to get do the new DLC stuff. And I'm trying to like get a really perfect end here. I'm talking like, you know quarians and geth getting along I'm talking full EMS everything I can get away with mm-hmm. doing like, I got all sure that get... shit
1: on my first go not gonna
0: lie And I'm, I'm leading up to like the end and bear in mind like I didn't realise I'd killed Garrus off for Mass Effect 2 in 2010 and hadn't sorted that set save out for Mass Effect 3 so he wasn't in my original playthrough
1: God I always forget that that can happen yeah
0: so I got all my Garrus moments in this one which made me that much happier but I was I was Probably going through, I was like, okay, I know that technically there's a cinematic at the end after the Destroy, and only the Destroy ending, where you see the N7 armor and Shepard take a breath, in, and you're like, oh, Shepard's not technically dead. I'm like, that would be in my head the canon ending, because so I'm like, I'm going to go Destroy. That's what I'm going to do. Even from the first game, I'm like, and now I'm going to build up to a Destroy ending. But
3: Edie.
0: But Edie. So I go through the game... I'm playing the DLC, I'm playing Leviathan for the first time, which, oh my god, does that fill in so many problems. It should have been a part line. of the base game. That is required for a Mass Effect 3 playthrough. Leviathan answers so many fucking questions <laughs> and leads adds so much context to why the ending is important, and why the catalyst is the catalyst, and Oh my god! Like it just solved everything for me. It is it all coalesced in my head. Also, the, the Citadel DLC just it's fan service in the best way. I love Citadel so. The great.
1: one thing that I will say with regards to it being essential, it is very much like they had a bit. That was just before the ending, like a fourth act in a five act structure. And then they took it out, and they just kind of put it over here, and then just charged for it.
0: Leviathan was actually the first bit, first much missions I could do when it actually became an open game after mm-hmm. after linear after the linear path it's entered through to start open up the game. Pretty much went straight to Leviathan without realizing that that was for Leviathan. I was like, mm-hmm. I don't remember this. I'm like, oh crap, I'm doing the DLC, aren't I? Yeah. So I played that. What would have been like, you know, the last act sort of thing. At the very beginning of the game. That's and I had the also other fine. Do, which is, it still works out. But it's- the whole thing builds up. And like I was saying, I was going to do the story ending, Like that's what's in my mind. Throughout the entire DLC, then the bits the had, because there's also the extended cut and uh, Omega, which you do with R- uh RH locus and stuff. Everything builds up in a way that actually seems to have been fixed to the point where it makes sense now. Mm-hmm. So I got to the Catalyst, and I'm right at the end of the game. <laughs> and after three weeks of playing the game and planning and knowing how I was going to end the game... Looked at it and went, shit, there is no ending other than Synthesis. It's the only one that makes sense now. Now that I've learned too much, I must go for Synthesis. Shepard has to die to save the universe, and I'm not angry about it. (gasps) I was like...
1: They did. It's this thing. I watched that
0: last cutscene, tear rolling. I'm like...
1: That was so fucking worth
0: it. That was what I wanted back in 2012. Here's, it's fixed. It's good.
1: Here's the thing. Knowing what I know about the behind the scenes of some of the stuff that happened with regard to the development of Mass Effect 3, the last minute rewrites that have always been rumoured to have happened before Mass Effect 3 came out, these were strong rumours that mm-hmm. there had been a leak. Oh, there's the
0: Dark Angel stuff. Drew Capition uh, uh, being taken off of it because he was working on the Old Republic It MMO. was a
1: whole... Well, I was following it in real time. Um, that has always been a thing where it's very much... We have a very strong understanding that they did not have enough time to write out the ending in a way that made sense. So it makes sense in that context that they would sort of have to go back and fill it in. But at the same time, I've always thought I'd much have preferred them to have just delayed Mass Effect 3 till they could have got that stuff in the base game. On the other hand, one thing I will say is I was never angry at the Mass Effect 3 ending. I thought it was narratively a bad ending.
0: Oh, I, I wasn't angry.
1: I was livid. I know, I wasn't even angry. I always just thought, okay, so the end to the sci-fi stuff that was like the A-plot was like undercooked and it didn't make a lot of sense, but that wasn't why I was playing the Mass Effect series. The individual endings for each character arc in Mass Effect 3 felt great, and to my mind, that was the reason I was playing Mass Effect. I didn't care that much about the Reapers. The Reapers were the backdrop against which this crew with the story. And so for me, I was never really... I was just kind of like, that was badly written... ...that was clearly rushed, it was a narrative cop-out... ...it doesn't make a lot of sense and it doesn't fit. On the other hand, it's also the last five minutes of a game... ...where I've already had all of my big emotional climaxes... ...so I'm not that fussed. I was really astonished when I went online after playing it... ...because I played it like in ten hour stretches the day it came out. Um, And I went online and I saw how livid everybody was. I expected people to be upset... But I didn't expect them to be, like, screaming at the devs, talking about it as a personal betrayal. upset.
2: You see, this is very much, like, how I felt at the end of Gravity Falls. Yeah. It's that thing where... Maybe,
0: maybe in a couple of years, what will happen is you'll get back to Gravity Falls <laughs> and uh, they'll have added a couple of episodes in the middle of that last season. You'll get to that last episode, you like... Yeah, this flows nicely. This actually makes sense now. Because again, if you take, take all that stuff out of Mass Effect 3, it's a garbo ending and it would make me angry again. But they went back, narratively added some stuff in. The whole thing makes sense. You get towards the end and you have a great time. And I'm probably going to replay it as a renegade this time. And I know you wanted to segue, and we're going to do it. But I just want to point out the, the, um, one of my favourite things that I'm going to have to link in the show notes. is for anyone that hasn't played the Mass Effect 3 Citadel DLC, <sighs> as much as I love all the characters and I, I have favourites. The best thing to come out of that DLC is what feels like a red versus blue level Machinima moment with Grunt. Yes. His squad breaks him out of the hospital yes. as a healing for his birthday and it's told in flashback. as, he's, as the, the Citadel security have got him like arrested and he's got Shepard come to get him because like, like, essentially Grunt's a kid being tanked. Grunt is
1: my beautiful like, son. Yeah. And he tells
0: like, here's what happened to me tonight. And at one point, like, so my squad mates gave me a rope to get out of the hospital. Didn't quite go as we planned. And it flicks to like the Huerta Memorial Hospital with a glass window <laughs> with a, a Salarian type. He's a glass smash and as he falls <laughs> past the window.
1: Window. oh god Grant is my beautiful son and I love him
0: I watched that entire thing paused the game went to YouTube and re-watched it <laughs> <laughs> and I was laughing for a side five minutes so I think I'm going to have to put that clip in the show notes I don't um, know if it'll mean anything to anyone that hasn't like fallen in love with these characters but it's such a great reason to keep everyone alive for the Citadel DLC because most of them have truly hilarious moments they all have fantastically written bits that are added in for the matter So everything, everything builds up and works out. But... Also,
1: that's the thing. We all know that the real ending to Mass Effect 3 is the Citadel DLC.
0: <laughs> no, it's the actual Crucible now. They fixed it.
1: No, but the Citadel DLC was the last thing that those of us who have been there since day one downloading all the DLC ever played. Like, it was the last yeah, DLC was, released. Yeah. And it was, for a lot of us, like, the final thing we played on our quote-unquote canon playthroughs. Because I was playing all the DLC. I had day one right. DLC, which is still bullshit. I had all of that shit. It's the only game I've ever done that for.
2: But who doesn't like a, a space party pad for space parties? <laughs> <laughs> the
0: <laughs> space party was awesome.
2: <laughs> got any space parties. I mean, it, it, and in terms of, like, I haven't actually played all that much of Mass Effect. I played the first one for about
0: three hours and decided it wasn't for me.
1: Did you get lost a lot? Because I did the first time I played it. Yeah. It took me is a it
2: long game, time. So it's,
0: it's the gameplay more than the story. That <laughs> yeah, no, no. That, that, Mas-
2: everything in terms of like the stories, it was fine. The story's just, awesome. The
1: Mass game. Effect 1 is old school Bioware. Mass Transitioning F- to new yeah. Bioware. Mass Effect 1 is
0: the hardest one to replay for me, I think, if I hadn't waited 10 years to replay it. Just because it, the gameplay-wise, it's it's weak in terms of... Especially in, compared to the other two. As, like, oh my God, 2 yeah. and 3, the gameplay is ahead of the others are so good in terms of gameplay, but one is one's weak sauce.
1: One thing I will say is, as somebody who has put hundreds... I have played Mass Effect, the Mass Effect series more than I've played any game series. Like, period. I have played a lot of Mass Effect. Also, the getting, Maker is bullshit. Getting into it... Oh, don't talk to me about the Maker. Maker sucks. But uh, it does. But um, it took me a long time to get into the first game because I found it very unintuitive... Its gameplay style is just transitioning into more modern Mm. methods. It's very much like they're coming out of KOTOR and going into like the later Bioware stuff. And they're kind of getting used to the idea that you are not in an RPG combat system anymore. So while it doesn't act like an RPG combat system, the camera's weird, the aiming's kind of bad, and it's really easy to get lost on all the planets... So for me, it was very much like I got over the first 10 hours over the course of like two weeks. And then from there till like the end of Mass Effect 2, which had just come out at the time, I got through the whole thing like twice in a week.
0: Yeah, Also, Command the Shepherd is usually one of the best video game characters they've ever created. But, and I play that as someone, I, I say that as someone who's never played Fem Shep either. A lot of people love, um... Jennifer it, Hale. Jennifer Hale oh. is the voice. yeah. No. They're correct. Uh... Is it who's a guy that does male ship? I don't remember because I only
1: ever play FemShep. <laughs> well,
0: I hear his voice constantly. And I'm like, yeah, that's like, just Shepard is one of the best characters in in the video game, like, canon, I guess, for all video games. The video game has a history across the universe. Shepard's up there with like all the best ones with with, with Master Chief, with Mario, with Sonic, with anyone that left a massive impact on the gaming landscape. Like, yeah, that, and that's why. Ryder sucks so much in Andromeda.
1: <laughs> oh God, we're back to Andromeda. Are we doing this? Well, I'm just saying
0: that's how big of a character Shepard becomes and how well-written he or she is and their effect they have on you throughout that story is that the minute you dropped into Andromeda with a new set of characters and a new character, you're like, this guy sucks. He ain't Shepard.
2: That's how I felt about... <laughs> um, no, this is entirely... This is entirely <laughs> that's separate, how we felt yeah. about Gravity Falls. <laughs> no, no, no. This is entirely separate. This is how I felt about Phoenix Wright
0: yeah 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 with
1: Apollo oh, Justice right oh don't listen as somebody who's been playing Phoenix Wright since the first game came out shut the fuck up my favourite one is Apollo Justice no. Apollo
0: Justice ain't Phoenix no I, I don't give a she... shit no.
1: I will fight every single person the best Phoenix Wright game is Apollo oh. Justice
0: when Phoenix comes back oh. after out on the bar and is like he's gonna be a liar again like yeah Phoenix Wright is back
1: I am going to kick everybody in this room in the face you know what we should do an entire podcast that is me giving a two hour <laughs> long speech on why narratively the fourth game is the most interesting one
2: I no mean, the first game is no, I no mean, the fourth e- one I mean Edgeworth. that's where it's at right oh the Edgeworth yeah.
0: Yeah, oh the
1: Edgeworth have you ever played the fan translation of the second Edgeworth no it's no. very good it's the best Phoenix Wright game
0: because the- maybe what Andromeda needs is if they do a sequel to Andromeda <laughs> he
1: wears a she- cravat
0: <laughs> Shepard shows up and you play as Shepard again and it makes everything better and Ryan just gets a kick in the teeth <laughs> (laughs)
1: I can't believe that you have this opinion about Apollo Justice. I'm going to disown you all. I'm I'm sorry. It's because Phoenix is the best character in that series. But he's the best character in the fourth Phoenix Wright game, which is Apollo Justice.
0: No, we're saying that the fourth game is a bad game. We're saying that Apollo Justice as a character, as a person ain't Phoenix right, and that's the problem. But
1: Phoenix in the the fourth game In the same way that Ryder ain't Shepard. But Phoenix in the fourth game is like a really obnoxious sarcastic mentor is the best.
0: In the same way that Shadow ain't Sonic. (laughs)
1: Aww. (laughs) And
2: he never will be.
0: No.
1: But he's the perfect being. This is we're going to listen back to this and just think wow those were some segues we could not have planned. Nope. Yeah.
0: So yeah in, in, in massive retrospect I highly recommend anyone that Hasn't played it in a while, or has never played it. Goes back and gets like hits of that Mass Effect trilogy, and I'm—I hate to be the one to say this, and this is—I I feel sick saying it. coming back to endorse something I don't want to endorse, but considering the pain I have just gone through with Mass Effect Two, and my corrupted save file. You might be better off buying the discounted Mass Effect trilogy as a whole item from the Origin store because that has class saves.
1: I agree. <laughs> and Steam doesn't. I, I mean, hey, they agree. got
0: they they got the upgrade there, so like if I if I had the trilogy on Origin, I could have continued my Mass Effect. 2 also, the Steam
1: one has some weird compatibility issues that occasionally crop up with more modern hardware. Not, mine.
3: Mine's been fine. not
1: on all of them. I just know from yeah. reputation that sometimes if you have certain graphics drivers or things like that that are more modern, not huge issues, but it can cause um, excessive crashes. So
0: Maybe I didn't know because I got all the uh, texture mods on, so there's probably some like, game-fixing stuff in there too. Probably. But yeah, I recommend going back to it, and I still think it's one of my favourite science fiction series. I'm sad to see that Mass Effect has died and Anthem's coming, because... I mean, despite Andromeda being crap, like it is a better. Maybe they'll come back and do something with it I the don't future.
1: want a Bioware game where it's not 50% dating sim. I don't understand the point of a Bioware game if I can't date and fuck anybody. I'm just saying. Although,
0: Anthem's coming out and I don't know a lot about it other than it looks like there's a bit of Iron Man-style gameplay in there.
1: apparently can't date anybody, so I don't care about it. Yeah. However,
0: <laughs> however, you can get N7 armor. And i like, okay. Can
1: I fuck the N7 armor? No, then I don't care. I
0: mean, if you're wearing it, technically you're always fucking it, right? <laughs> I mean,
2: realistically, they might just do DLC. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the fuck
2: DLC.
1: The new microtransactions, <laughs> pay-per-fuck. <laughs> pornography. I just invented pay-per-view pornography. <laughs> In
2: Anthem, so it's okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's my most favorite. Mass Effect Retrospective.
1: Paul, we'll we'll get you on this Mass Effect train. We'll you know what?
0: You I I feel like despite I've got other things lined up that I've got to do and I took a break for other games, I feel like I might go back into a full trilogy replay as FemShep and do the Renegade route instead.
1: Oh, just for the hell of it! Jennifer Hale's voice acting on Renegade options is great. She has so much fun being a douchebag. Do it.
0: So yeah, that's that's Mass Effect. Um, we watched some stuff. One of the things that we watched was uh, uh, Steven Universe. End of season five, which I watched very shortly after finishing my Mass Effect playthrough, and I'm now traumatized by uh, white diamonds laser <laughs> beams because they sound a very a lot like a Reaper horn. <laughs> At that point, you can add the Reaper horn <laughs> into the podcast. That'd be the first one that's had, oh, this podcast has never had the Reaper horn before, whereas the old Capture the Frag podcast I did before had not only the Reaper horn, but many instances of, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favourite podcast Paul, on the set. Paul, now.
1: you have to now fuck with his head and do the Inception noise instead.
0: I was going to
2: use the Steven Universe noise. <laughs> 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 yeah.
1: Just lay them all over and then put like a Skrillips guard dubstep over <laughs> it.
0: the reapers like dubstep
1: (laughs) that's how you know that they're evil
0: that's how we that's how we can synthesize over our love of skrillex oh my god
1: i'm just gonna kick you out the window okay so steven
0: universe though so i i i watched that literally the night before we started recording and you watched it a short while back yeah like a a week ago i something. And James has not seen it.
1: I have not. I am very behind so on Steven Universe, but I don't mind spoilers, so say about whatever you to want.
0: spoil some Steven yeah, Universe. Yeah, by all
1: means. I, I've been spoiled for most so of Steven Universe. You,
0: you, you need to lead this, Paul, because you had some very strong things to say in our chat on the internet about it before I got to watching it. Yeah. Especially in regards to your feelings on Gravity Falls. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so essentially, Steven Universe, like the end of this arc, has been building up for like the last two seasons. The whole Diamond mm-hmm. Saga. Well, the whole
0: yeah. storyline... As it began and ends in this arc, started in 2011.
2: Yeah, because this this show's been going on. Oh, yeah. Um, No
1: more ice cream sandwiches here.
2: (laughs) No. Um, The the actual ending was, in terms of execution, exactly how they should have done it. Um, I am a little bit peed off that they essentially put in a break between the end of what is season four and season five, because it was obvious that the end of season four and season five... They had one of the episodes, at least one of those episodes, banked to go into, mm-hmm. and then they had to do that thing where they are. No, no, was no that clear. was
0: that, that was still season five. Oh, was that the, the, the these have both been season five?
1: Oh, okay, it's season, just like, like five. Cartoon a, five Network's yeah, airing schedule. So
0: there was that break, but that's why the last episode before these that you told me about, like that's why it segues so perfectly into them, is because it it's still part of the same season. There's not meant to be a break. Well.
1: Cartoon, Cartoon, Network. Cartoon
0: Network, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> thanks Cartoon Network. But yeah, it, it literally it takes to the point where they have the break off of, when oh, they had the the end of and uh, the most the last episode that we saw before the break. Yeah, um, it it was a cliffhanger, which and is was, a
0: hell of a fucking cliffhanger.
2: It is. It's yeah, a, it's a massive cliffhanger, but it's done in a way where and we talked about this previously at some point, but it's done in a way where it basically undercuts you and you're like, okay, and what happens next? And then for no reason, no really good reason, we just sit there and don't know. And when they resolve <laughs> it afterwards, the way they resolve it they end of that episode does make sense as a cliffhanger because it's a case of um, Stephen is put in a position where um, he's look, drawing parallels between... Um, Pink Diamond slash Rose Quartz, mm-hmm. her family struggles and strife, and his own. Mm-hmm. And he's realizing that the, the parallels between how he is similar to his mother even though he doesn't know her. Um, but he's remembering elements of stuff things for it.
0: I like the um the like the crown drawings that they show to like emphasize that you can see like white diamonds meant to be garnet and uh, yeah, yeah, blue and yellow are meant to be like amethyst and perlite. Uh, because like Rose uh when she was Pink Diamond, not Rose Quartz has, like, the, the the hair, so the silhouette matches Stephen's hair. Like, yeah. How did I not spot that, like, earlier until it was drawn in crayon?
1: One thing I will say is I noticed that issue of, like, how Stephen's silhouette is not enormously different from Rose's when I saw the Funko Pop, because the Funko Pops for the two, they have the same silhouette, and also... What,
0: Rose Quartz or Pink Diamond?
1: Um, rose Quartz, in terms of the hair... Because it's big and poofy,
0: I can just never see it's it. It's also
1: guess. on pink. It's more on pink diamond, yeah. but you see it on both. But also, the back of his hair is like a rose on the Funko Pop, and it's very cute. I just wanted to say that. Go on.
0: That's <laughs> all right. Although uh, the uh, the the things the things that I was messaging you about last night, I was watching it, as, and this story is good, and I'm sure you're going to tell us how good the story is because it's a really fucking good story. But it's so chock full with anime references that just Oh, well, I, that, I loved it. They do a literal fusion dance at one point. There's a giant yes. robot. This. Gurren Lagun sunglasses. And then like, more
1: Utena references because I liked those. Uh, yeah, I would
0: I've not watched a lot of Utena. So... I'm going
1: to make you yeah, watch well. Utena. But you'll have
0: to watch it and then point out any more references I missed.
1: We will watch Utena together. But
0: it's just it, they do that thing that I love where it, it, it didn't disservice the story in any way. We got a great story but they did just, just chuck some great like banging references. Literally in
2: the special at the end is just you know all those things you wish you could have? Here they are. Mm. <laughs> That's how you end a story Gravity Falls. Not it's not over there. knife and a heart. What? Oh, no, of the story. no, no, no! End of an arc. Story. End of an arc. Yeah, because yeah. no, that's the other thing is obviously you have the movie, but apparently you're still also getting the next season. Yeah, season six is going to happen um, because obviously six everyone... seasons
0: in the
1: movie. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We made it up this whole mountain.
2: <laughs> yeah, take that community.
1: <laughs> you Don't remind me how bad yeah, community got. I will wow. never forgive how bad they did our bed in the end. Uh, yeah, it's a bit yeah. Of
0: this, that, that storyline like. Tears, literal tears. Yeah. It was so well written. And
2: it's it literally gets to the end and, and you're by the end of it you are like that's that is what you should do with an end of it like an arc you should get to the point where you're like everything resolves in a really satisfying way and you're like yeah that's what I wanted from this, and I don't feel sad that it's like. Even if that was the end of the show, even if there was never another episode, even though we know what there is, but even if there was never another episode, it ends
0: perfectly. It's got some great high points in it. It's some fantastic like emotional swelling moments in there that just kick so much ass. There's genuine horror at one point. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Uh, just to see them like, like yeah, we've got a couple of episodes left until it's over. Like here, have some nightmare fuel. I was like. <laughs> Oh God. And then actually that song at the end uh-uh. I think was an absolutely perfect way to just stamp the ending on it, like bang, like that could be it. We're done. But I'd have been happy with that. Yeah. Like, Rover. Apart from apart from one thing that we didn't get, which I'm still missed about, <laughs> yeah. which is we've had no Peridot and Lapis fusion.
1: Riggy is upset his OTP didn't kiss. <laughs> <laughs> which is fair because I'm also upset to hear that my OTP didn't kiss. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Although everyone got banging new outfits. Okay,
2: that's, that is one of the best bit of fan service throughout the entire thing. It's like, what if everyone got to fuse with everyone else?
3: Yeah.
1: But like, not Briggie's OTP. But, but not Lapis and Barry. Yeah, that's because that's not where they are yet. I mean, fair. I it's know. okay, by the end of it, there'll be an old married couple. If, if
0: if there wasn't going to be more episodes and they didn't fuse, then I'd have been annoyed. I'm like, you've got one thing you need to do before you kill this series entirely.
2: I mean, also... Like, now like, that
0: everything else has been wrapped up,
2: Yeah, but Lapis has also had like... Fuse issues from people, Yeah, so. that's true.
1: she's got to. You got to ease into it slowly. You got to treat it as some I romance. This is yeah. some
0: closure at the end there with Jasper. Yeah,
1: yeah, they all get. Clo- that's the best thing. Everyone gets closure. That's
0: true. Everyone.
1: He's very <laughs> upset about Gravity Falls, guys. Oh, God. No, don't don't Just wait until I do <laughs> a rewatch and talk about it on the podcast and talk about how much I like the ending. Oh, that's
0: great. It's but... your Mass mm. Effect 3. It is. <laughs>
1: it is. You need to it really back. back. Right. You two need to find my Mass Effect 3. Because <laughs> so far, all you've found is stuff that you hate that I like.
2: <laughs> You're saying that. You might watch the ending of Steven Universe and be like, what the hell? <laughs> from <I think?" laughs> what I've
1: heard, I think I'm going to be really satisfied. It sounds as though it's a really appropriate ending for the kind of show Steven Universe is. Also, I'm very interested in the fact that everybody I know who is also trans was literally just like, wow, that was very transgender, and was just like, yes, this is this is an excellent, <laughs> excellent metaphor. Yeah. I'm in terms hyper... of, with the Stephen wanting to be called Stephen by the, the yeah, diamonds. Yeah, be- becoming
0: and... significantly more hyper-aware of trans issues, thanks to you being <laughs> in my life. So watching this last five episodes Bearing of the season, mind, I was just like...
1: The showrunner as well is also, like, trans. So. Oh, yeah. well, I
0: think it's I think it's awesome that they can they can deal with that because, you know, modern world and, and everything. We don't need to And
1: in a metaphorical yeah. way that is relatable to like these all kids. But they
0: can go in there and it's not it doesn't come across as preachy or no, self-serving but just, just as be there. presented as here's a metaphor for actual life and that's what we're running with. And you never go like I'm so sick of being told all this shit all the time You're like no no I'm buying into this like yeah.
1: And also... Call just, him Stephen. Yes. It's his name. <laughs> it's his name. I'll you. But, um, and also just the fact that we've reached a point where showrunners just trust kids to be smart viewers. Like yeah, they I always think have. A great thing about nice. shows in, like, modern cartoon kid shows is that they go in just assuming the kids aren't fucking idiots to just be sold toys. There's always there's always... There's always been some shows yeah, like because that.
0: that's the ones that still last that people remember fondly is the ones that were always... Tret I just think kids still watching it. Not, they were idiots. I just
1: think we see a lot of them now, and I like it. I think mm. they
0: were. I think they were always there. I just think the world has changed constantly. In that the ones that are still relevant, are the ones that are the most, the, 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 the you know the ones thinking the furthest ahead are the yeah. ones that were most woke, I suppose, even in the past. So now you're like, oh yeah, that stuff hasn't aged particularly badly because it didn't treat them like idiots. And Steven Universe just happens to be the one of our of this current yeah. generation of cartoons that fucking nails it. In, I can't follow it. It's, it's got a, this
1: generation's Avatar: The Last Airbender. My
0: only problems <laughs> I have with that ending, one as I mentioned, thing. was the Lapis and Pearl fusion, which again, in a show like this, not, not even a real complaint to be honest. It's it's still a hugely satisfying ending, and um, way way less screen time than I think he deserved my boy Space Pirate Lars.
1: <laughs> I saw who is just, like, yeah, like, where's my boy? He's
0: be- he best be in the damn movie mode because he's awesome and he shows up for maybe the last two minutes of the last episode. He's really not in it. Um, but or is Sadie which I have a problem with That's that's the, best,
2: yeah, that's the best thing with them though is is it's like
1: spin off
0: like, but they still get the a little moment yeah. which is nice and literally yeah. like
2: oh you're
1: a rock star oh you're a space pirate
0: cool And they thinking suits us <laughs> you're like
1: yeah oh spin off movie spin off movie <laughs> I want them to have a spin off movie
0: but they'll I, I look forward to seeing what the movie brings us though just because But it, it is, like, where uh, do you go from here
2: well this is the thing is, is I assume that they, they, as you say with your prediction that you've a, you cast as Strong as the voice because she hasn't been in it and yeah, what she's I say, contractually uh,
0: advised me to animated show. I only know the name of that character because everyone on YouTube was mentioning it because someone said like, oh, they put a promo at the end of the last, last episode and I didn't, I missed the promo. I was like, oh, I should have watched that. So I went back and found the promo and all it is is that maniacal laughter of that new character whose name I've forgotten. So it's another type of gem, obviously. But the, the laughing, I was like, I think I know that laugh. Mm. I think I know that from many characters in the past and I'm pretty sure that's Tara Strong's voice yeah so but I couldn't find any confirmation it would be Tara Strong but the minute that movie comes out if it's not Tara Strong I'll I'll be shocked
2: yeah well I mean <laughs> if she's not like in it then I'm sure she'll be in it at
0: some point but if it is Tara Strong yeah, you know she's going to be playing a psycho she's good at that who will eventually become friends with everyone at the end or die <laughs> But it's Steven Universe, so it's more likely to be friends.
1: Yeah. The entire plot of Steven Universe can basically be summed up as Steven makes friends with everybody. No, even that person. No, even that person. Everybody. You know
0: what I'd like after this is if we have the movie and then a the time jump to like, you know, early twenties Steven. Where where he gets to the point where life has gotten him down and he's just about to snap. And so instead of making a president, he goes on a bit of a rampage and (laughs) just fucks people up. Have you not seen...
1: (laughs) Why would you do this to my beautiful son? (laughs) Have
2: you not seen the graphic novel where it's based in high school? And he's actually in school. I haven't seen that,
0: but I do own the first volume of the Steven Universe graphic novel. But it doesn't look as if it takes place in... No, it's no the... he's already 14 in the show anyway. Yeah, but he's he has going one to beard school. hair. Yeah. yeah, but he's actually going to school. In the graphic Maybe novel. that's in the one I have. I haven't actually read it yet. It's yeah. been on the pile of stuff that I'm working my way through.
1: A lot of the graphic novels are very cute. Yeah. I've got
0: Saga as well, which I've not read. I'm sure people that hear me say that, i be like, I fucking read Saga.
1: A lot of people who listen to your piles and go, You should do those,
2: Briggy. Yeah. I mean,. Probably like just I've
0: been working my way through them. Do you know how many Zelda books there are? There's a lot of Zelda books. <laughs> he I'm slowly working my way through. I've not watched John Wick yet because of Zelda. Come on, guys! Jesus I'll get Christ! There.
1: I've got a long list.
0: <laughs> You've got a
1: long box. Oh my god! Hey. <laughs> I'm going to just you people are going to kill me. This podcast is my this podcast is my supervillain origin story.
0: <laughs> this is your Mass Effect Three. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, ma- the real Mass Effect Three was the friends I made along the way. He's doing
0: episode three. <laughs> there oh you my go. god! Sorry, right, we'll release a DLC episode for this episode later on that makes sense of the Steven Universe <laughs> <laughs> conversation. I'm going to cut everything that doesn't make
1: it just to make <laughs> just, it real. Oh, sorry, I, I got so angry I just hit the table. Oh. What else do we want to talk about?
0: So we talk about Steven Universe, and it's good. <laughs> and anyone that likes it, it's just it's more good Steven Universe. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's, Paul gives it his stamp of recommendation because he didn't make him. It, it didn't gravity falls him. Oh, 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 <laughs> that sounds so much rage.
1: We will do a rewatch. But at it some wasn't point. the only thing we watched. Next
0: topic. Between episodes, we've also right. watched um, a new show from easily one of my favorite production teams on the internet in general. I, mean, I went to RTX. I love Rooster Teeth and the things they put out. I loved R V B, loved Ruby, loved weirder things that they've put out in the past that no one remembers, like Strangerhood. <laughs> like anything oh, that yeah, we sure ever should ever Strangerhood. Yeah yeah.
2: Which was the one about everyone dying again?
0: Uh day five. Yeah, that was it right. That was that was good that was one of the better live action ones, yeah. yeah. But they've been making really good stuff and they got a lot of money behind them and the minute that day and they, five, get, uh, they got that Disney money. Yeah.
1: <laughs> we we're building up our season long arc It's just Paul yeah. building up to his Disney rank He's we'll get there out. folks yeah. we'll get there folks
0: But uh, we're now at the point where Rooster Teeth and we have been there for a short while I should think where they have a fantastic animation team especially the ones—the guys that are behind Ruby and Camp Camp and the, that were previously on X-Ray and Vav and all the other animation yeah. stuff they do it's become a really legit operation over at Rooster Teeth, and they got a lot of money behind them. They got some fantastic people working for them, uh, Gray Haddock and uh, Miles Luna and Kerry and Michael B. Fucking Jordan. That's the new thing, right? So they've got their regular team, and they announced—got to be two years ago now, I think—that they were making a series called Genlock. And the only thing we knew was that it was going to be an animation similar to Ruby, and it was going to be about um, sci-fi mecha anime. And I was like awesome, I'm so fucking on board for this. Ruby's great, but it's not my usual genre. Hmm. But I love the stuff for the fighting. Yeah, that's more my genre. The the, the groundwork that Monty laid when he started working for Rooster Teeth around RVB Season 6 and Season 7, those jumps animation, the effort they put into them, then Ruby happening because Monty made it, and then other shows happening because the other guys were getting involved in making new things. I was like, cool, I want to see what they do with a mecha show, because mm. obviously anyone that's been knows I fucking love giant fighting robots.
1: Yes, we noticed.
0: So over the last two years, we had more and more details come out. We knew that Michael B. Jordan was going to be involved. We eventually knew that David Tennant would be involved. Amazing Maisie Williams, Williams. Uh, Dakota Fanning,
1: Asia, Kate Dillon. Yeah. Like that's the one person that I didn't know before I watched it. Like, but now I saw them in the credits, and I was like, holy shit, that's the that's the person from Billionaire. I've seen them in something.
0: So. In the, in, in the time we're recording this now, we've done two episodes deep, and it's going to be a weekly show. So maybe we'll come back and talk about this a bit more in depth again at the season finale level of things. But good lord, these first two episodes just spot on from Rooster teeth This is—I think these might have been better, like pilot or first two episodes, than Ruby had when that started. And that was like Monty's official stuff. I thought it was amazing. So this is... I have loved this. You guys talk about how great it is. Agree with me. (laughs)
1: So I came off... I watched it just before we started recording this podcast, just for some context. So I'm very much processing my initial thoughts. I hadn't watched any trailers. While I have enjoyed various things that Rooster Teeth have done in the past, I don't follow Rooster Teeth. So for this, it was very much a matter of, this sounds interesting. It's got people involved that I'm interested in. Michael B. Jordan being on board made me interested David Tennant made me interested, Maisie Williams made me interested. And also, I like supporting sort of independent internet productions that are kind of attempting to do something new with the distribution and everything.
0: That means you should probably get a Rooster Teeth first account then for actually supporting them. I'm I'll, supporting them. I'm just going to come With by my first account. I'm just
1: going to come by and steal yours. But, um, <laughs> They've so, got Disney money, they're fine. So I. Mm, we're <laughs> getting I, there.
0: I, I've been a Rooster Teeth payer of their <laughs> service. Since before it was called First, when it was back, when it was called uh, R.T. Sponsor. Yeah, um, way back. (laughs) Yeah.
1: With regards to the show, so I very much came in kind of like knowing what the very, very basic premise was, but kind of blind. And so uh, my internet is down at home. So I messaged Briggy like early this morning being like, can I just like come around yours like an hour before the podcast and we'll watch it?
0: Which meant I got to rewatch it was great. And
1: it it was really just, it's an incredibly polished production. Mm. I mean, I have very high standards for animation. I don't even watch a lot of professional, like, television animation. When I watch, animation is generally film. I have really high standards, like, unfairly high standards for quality of animation. And I was really impressed by what they did so one thing that I will say, and Briggy's going to get annoyed at me, but I, again, it's only because I'm really picky. There's a certain amount of compromise that is made in terms of it being mid-budget 3D animation, which means that a lot of the time the human animations that are kind of like day-to-day animations feel a bit slow and a bit stiff. That's really the only thing that I would say. However, the way that they use um editing in the fight scenes and the way that they use the actual concept of it being a mecha show that involves a lot of piloting to get around that to make it feel sharp and snappy and weighty for the vast majority of the show, I think, is really impressive. One thing that really caught my attention in terms of the craftsmanship of the show is, like, the editing is phenomenal. Like, it's just a well-edited show. And they really use it to their advantage to get around the limitations of what seems to be a a rigging system that is a bit floaty Mm. in terms of, like, how the characters gesture, their facial expressions, how they move through space when they're just walking... But they kind of get around a lot of those issues by cutting in a way, they cut on impact a lot, and they cut in a way that's very sharp and snappy. So just on a visual level, that combined with the fact that they have great lighting, great use of colour, great visual design, they basically make up for the fact that they're mid-budget instead of high-budget by having like the artistic skill to make it look good, without needing to be high budget. And that's what I want to see more internet productions doing. And I haven't even talked about the plot or anything yet, (laughs) but I'm an animation nerd and I was really impressed by them making something look so polished when knowing from context how these things work, they're probably mid-budget, not low budget, mid-budget instead of like proper high budget. I mean, yeah, they got their Disney money, but like they got their Disney money for an internet show. And to a certain extent, they were probably told, you know... You're good at making do with lower budgets, which means that we don't need to give you as much money. (laughs) That's how these things tend to go.
0: I'm not sure I agree with that entirely, having followed Roosty for such a long time. I think some of the things that you call limitations, I call their style, like, their trademark.
1: Oh, I mean, I think that it's something where the reason that they're able to get around it is that they are so used to doing so that they've turned it into a style. I would
0: recommend if you have the time, and definitely if you have the time, because it's not... Not a small investment one I'm about to recommend. But if you watch every single season of Red vs. Blue from start to finish... And then every single season of Ruby from start to finish. Especially if you do it by the years that they came out. So you go back and forth. <laughs>
1: from like just, my God.
2: If you just take everything you're doing and
1: just
0: chuck it away for the next three months. Nah, you could probably do it in about a week and a half. I have a full-time
1: job, Reggie. <laughs>
0: about a week and a half, you be done.
1: Because
0: uh, I'm pretty sure I've watched all of Red vs. Blue in under a week before. That does
1: not surprise me.
0: Because they're short episodes. Uh, that's one of the big differences with this one. Is like we've got half an hour episodes for the season. Even Ruby hasn't gotten quite to the half an hour per episode. And we they had episodes, we have, we've had half an hour episodes in the past, but they've usually been finales. That's
1: another thing. I will say Genlock does not feel padded out. It does not feel no. like they didn't know what to do with the longer format. They know how to pace a 30-minute episode, which but is you,
0: harder than it sounds. You can see through their evolution from RVB1 when it was pure machinima on an Xbox, uh, which even RVB now to some degree is still done with machinima on an Xbox with interstitial stuff done with uh, the creator and, and animation. They've got themselves of their own rigs. But you can see that's their style that's always been their style going forward even ruby still has that sort of stilted look to it in places because that was always monty's style of doing his fight scenes or doing his his uh exposition scenes where there's also around talking like that always feels like a trademark part of them i feel like if you gave them spider-verse and the spider-verse budget and said here ruthie make to the spider-verse then they would they would do the same movie we saw but with that style that you just watched, the, even with all the money, that's the, just what they do. The
1: thing with that, though, is I think the reason that they've developed that style is very much that they started out with a very low oh, yeah. budget. So what I'm saying but is... I think,
0: I think if you throw more money at them, you're not oh, going to see a change. Here's
1: the thing, though. I'm saying that they don't need more money thrown yeah. at them. And what I like to see is that they're basically saying, you know what, we can do this mid-budget. We can make it look great, stylish, creative, interesting. Because you don't need to break the bank to do that. You just have to be creative and clever with your editing and your visual design.
2: I mean, technically, in terms of budget, if you factor in their voice
1: actors... They spent all their money on Michael B. Jordan. Let's just get that out there. <laughs> I wonder how
0: much they spent on him, considering he's an executive producer.
1: Oh, he will be taking a salary for both, trust me.
0: <laughs> I thought producers went meant to fund. That's what you do, you produce.
1: The companies, yes. The actual people who act as producers take a salary. Partly from production companies, but they do take a salary usually. He, they are probably paying him to produce. He's not paying them to make it. His company might be paying them, but that's not him. It'll exist as a separate economic entity. It's yeah. complicated. It's stupid.
0: So yeah, it's got Michael B. Jordan in it, and he's uh, he's pretty good. Although I'm yet, to see, I mean, we in, but I'm yet to see him voice act on a level of acting that we've definitely seen him be capable of. His his role as Killmonger in Black Panther oh, is so phenomenal. And Chase just seems a bit a bit Amory Ray, to be fair. To be My fair, Gundam he is absent for a lot of it. Yeah. He's a bit he's a bit a bit a bit why why bred. I mean compared to the other characters we've got, which all seem to be doing some really good jobs. Like Chase is just kind of bit I'm hoping he gets better. I mean he's uh, only two episodes in, but right well, now he's the least interesting character apart from
1: I, I do agree with that. <laughs> but the
0: fact that he's in a tank.
2: Well, that's the other thing there is, is in the first episode, he's a flight boy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's quite well played for him being a flight boy. And in the second episode, as you say, he's in a tank. Yeah, but
0: he, uh, that's the thing, like storyline-wise, his motivations are great and they make you care about Chase, but his delivery of things just feels... I mean, I don't know if Michael B. John's on any actual voice acting he has, in crisis, he? has, and he's he? good at it, yeah. But he, uh, him starting out in general like, so far has been the least interesting one whereas on the opposite side of things uh, Maisie Williams (sighs) is like holy crap I don't know if she's done voice acting before again yes she has she's awesome Absolutely it. Like she's also, great at delivering those David lines. David
1: Tennant, okay? Like we David Tennant is here. Well, yeah, David Tennant will literally just take bit parts and radio plays for like a pound, and he just loves doing voice acting. He's he's he he'll just do it for fun. It's
0: nice to see a new show with Miles Luna doing a voice of a character that's that's not David <laughs> from Cam Camp. That's not not David. What was his name? I can't remember his name now. Crap. It <laughs> <laughs> was it? I don't know, but yeah, here's a uh, the Cam Counselor from Cam Cam. He's great in that, and he's been in Red vs Blue, and he's been in Ruby, and like you can usually spot his voice. I had to double check the credits at one point to find out who Miles was. I'm like, ah, oh, he's uh, he's doing something a bit different with this one. So that was quite nice to hear. You know, I felt we should, and apart from Miles uh, Gray, Gray who uh, Gray Hattel, who wrote the show and has previously worked on Red vs Blue, and Ruby, and all the other shows, and um, Blaine Gibson, I think they're the only three. Sorry if I forgot someone, but of those three, they're the only Rooster Teeth personalities that, uh, like, actually noticeable and at the front forefront to some degree of the show, which is really weird for a Rooster Teeth show to not at least have half flooded a show with the guys that people know that are like public mm. facing in there. Even Ruby, which has. Uh, Shannon McCormick in it who's an actual voice actor who that was like a huge thing when that came out was, like, <laughs> oh how Shannon things change yeah, well, they've all become effectually you know, effectively now they're all actual voice actors but at the time it was like Shannon was the, the professional VA and then they had the guys that had mostly just done Red vs Blue or were part of the podcast and things so that's all flooded with, with people that worked for Rooster Teeth. so it's really weird to get a brand new Rooster Teeth show that I'm really enjoying but like, not all these people are like the internet personalities that I follow like Gav and Bernie and, and Gus and 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 Jeff. Yeah, like it's a all... lot of them
1: are just famous. <laughs>
0: yeah. Now it's just, oh, we've got people that are known for acting and now they're doing voice acting. But it is an interesting thing. The thing that it, I thought of the most uh, when watching this was, um, I don't know how many people like started watching Red vs. Blue and followed it for a long time. Like I've always been a big fan. I love Red vs. Blue and I love the characters. But around season 8, 9, 10, that whole freelancer era, where they started toying with the idea of showing faces rather than keeping it all machinima and keeping them in the the Spartan suits from Halo mm. as they were really getting a bit more uh, wild with the potential storylines and things they were going to do. I always thought, like, man, it's a shame that this is someone else's intellectual property. That they're, I mean, Bungie and then 343 after, like Microsoft overall have been really cooperative with them and they've given them tools that no one else has ever had before to do things that they couldn't do in Halo, like they've been involved in the Halo games since they got big, but still everything they do is locked down to some degree, they try and keep it to the fact that somewhere out yeah. there, Master Chief is doing a thing, and it's. There are limitations. It's, it's just way off to the side. We have nothing to do with Master Chief. But yeah, I guess Master Chief did a thing once, and then they have their own storyline.
1: They have to be very careful with But how the they freelancer
0: it. saga was insanely good, especially ending with Elijah Wood being a major villain in that show. Like the whole thing sort of became intense. You're like, oh, this is really good. But you always had that in the back of your mind. Like, this is, this is kind of locked down by the fact that they got this sci fi storyline that's not really theirs at mm. the end of the day.
1: Yeah. Jenlock's
0: first two episodes made me think about that and went, Oh shit, this is theirs. One thing like, that they've got this entire intellectual property now that's just as engaging in two episodes as, as seven seasons of Red vs. Blue was for mm. me. And I'm kind of hoping we get a game at some I point. I think now. that's a
1: good point. I was gonna segue into like what does everybody think in terms of its plot plot? Because one thing that I was really pleasantly surprised by was I think that there's often a f- sense that when you're doing like a Western produced thing that is clearly very heavily inspired by having grown up with and absorbed a lot of stuff relating to anime, that it can come across not even just as directly derivative, but very much in the sense that it's not a fully formed thing in its own right. Because, like, a lot of anime is derivative mm. of other anime. And a lot of mecha anime is derivative of other anime, by which I mean Gundam, or Eva, or both, <laughs> depending on what kind of show it is. But... This is more specifically, Gundam than Eva. it is. It's very much more Gundam than Eva. Um, but, and you also pointed out, quite Ghost in the Shell. This, this show is... Ghost but, this, sorry. This, this
0: show, very specifically, Bring takes in. two shows. It's Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex put in a blender with Gundam it Wing is, specifically yeah. or Gundam 00. But, not the entire Gundam franchise but Gundam Wing or 00 where it's a five member unit yeah. and they have very specifically coloured Gundams. You throw that in a blender and you go a bit of standalone complex. Not the Ocean movie. Yes, not the heavy yes, stuff I but, know, the, but the TV shows and you drop them in and blend it you get Genlock.
1: But what I would say with regards to the what I was saying with regards to it, sort of feeling like it's not just that it's not derivative, because again, a lot of anime is derivative, but also a lot of Western attempts to take on these Japanese genres often just have a very, it's not even just that they don't, that they're derivative, it's that they have a very shallow understanding. They have the aesthetics without having the structure or the themes. I think there's a lot of stuff where there's been that clear kind of anime influence where it's suffered a lot from that. This felt like a properly structured, properly plotted properly characterized thing it wasn't just gesturing anime archetypes gesturing at like references to anime plots and being like look we've got the aesthetics down we've made a cool mecha sort of anime it's very much like if you are not somebody you have ever seen or heard of mecha anime you could just watch this and you would just watch it as a good show whereas i think that's something that a lot of web series made by let's be honest here nerds and weebs have suffered from that in the past. And I'm really... Because, I mean, that's something that I'm just kind of like... It's difficult to get past the surface aesthetics and to really focus on things like how you plot it. So, I mean, in this, in the first episode, like, that could easily have just been, like, a standalone mini-movie that is just, like, a rise and fall of, like, a flyboy pilot during, like, a widespread sci-fi conflict that starts off strong, has good character work, and then has a really good, strong emotional ending. And then the second episode has really strong emphasis on introducing a lot of characters in a short period of time (laughs) in a way that's really distinctive for all of them. You get, like, when the pilots come in, with the exception of the couple of characters that are, like, very important and introduced in the first episode you get, like, these four new characters who all appear at once about halfway through the second five. episode. Five. Five new characters. Five, yeah. I miscounted. You're right. Don't do blame like that. And they... <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and you get an almost immediate idea of who they are as people from their visual design, from the way that they talk, from their interactions with each other in a group. They very sensibly keep them all together so that they can all interact with each other at once. So it really economically uses this. So, like, you know that, like, Maisie Williams' character... Uh, Scottish girl, what's her fucking name? They only said her name, like, twice. Yeah,
0: I didn't pick it up either. Yeah. I'm going to have to learn their names later on. I'm bad
1: with names. It took me six months to learn my best friend's name in real life. So, like, (laughs) I'm very bad with names. I I was paying attention. But, like, Maisie Williams' character is, like, other short blonde girl. She is very upbeat, very perky. And also she's, like, a huge tech geek who is, like, the hacker of the group. Like, there's the purple dark anime girl is the best way i can describe her who is russian and she is fairly stoic but also an extremely good fighter and she has a kind of cybernetic design and you get the impression that she has kind of a dry sense of humor and so on and so forth and all of this comes across like very quickly and you get a sense of their dynamic it's a sentai show And what I'm saying is, it's not just gesturing at the visual style of a Sentai show, and the basic tropes, and being like, we made a Sentai show, it's being like, we paid attention to Sentai shows, worked out how they work, and wrote a proper Sentai show. I guess
0: Gundam 00 was actually more the Sentai one, but yeah, Gundam 00, which was a five team, different colours, easily Mm -hmm. identifiable personalities, yeah, that was... One of the most successful Gundam shows in the last, like, two decades or so, like, 2008. I, I'm but, just yeah, saying. They, I... did, they did a Sentinel, I think, Sentai thing there, which is, yeah, it's great, but... It also makes me wonder, you have seen Ruby, right?
1: I have, and I'm not saying I'm surprised that Rooster Teeth managed it. Yeah. I'm just saying that there's been a lot of people who wanted to do something like this who sucked at it.
0: Oh, yeah, but I think Rooster Teeth I... have proven the legitimacy sometimes oh, yeah. over in the last decade.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I do want to be clear. While I haven't watched a lot of Ruby, what I did watch I really enjoyed, and... One of the reasons I was interested in watching Genlock is that I was likewise impressed with Ruby, where I was like, "Oh, a lot of attempts to make a Western magical girl show fall flat because they just spend ages designing the costumes and gesturing at a bunch of tropes and not bothering with a plot." And mm-hmm. Ruby was not that. Ruby actually cared about magical. I also girl
0: don't shows. consider Ruby to be a magical girl show. In oh, size. it is. Oh no, it's totally a Shonen show. The Shonen show protagonist.
1: One thing no, listen, there were a lot Briggy, you don't watch magical girl shows. No, but I watch
0: a lot of shonen anime and you have to understand
1: understand, a lot of magical girl shows are the same as shonen shows. Sailor Moon is basically a shonen show aimed at girls.
2: Pretty cure is the same Jill.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sentai. yeah. Yeah, but Ruby is Goku and Yang is Vegeta.
1: Yes. But so it's a show. <laughs> Briggy, one of these days, I'm going to sit you down and we're going to watch Sailor Moon and you're going to understand. Sailor Moon is a Shonen sentai show aimed at girls.
0: Which is what I just said.
1: Which is what Ruby <laughs> is as well. Magical girl shows are action packed, very violent, often include like dramatic themes of friendship and have a lot of situations where the protagonists become increasingly overpowered.
2: Uh, there's no point where Goku gets a magical dress.
0: We've still not seen the Broly movie yet, so we can't say that Seriously. with any certainty.
1: You know how I know that the gender binary is fake? It's because shonen shows and shoujo shows are the same fucking thing.
2: Yeah, only one of them gets magical dress.
1: And that's why Sailor Moon is better.
0: Vegeta gets a moustache. <laughs> that's not a magical dress.
1: I would watch it is Vegeta. magical, though. I would watch Vegeta in a magical dress with a magical moustache.
2: I mean, that would be better. Now, we all know Trunks is right. the princess. Anybody
1: <laughs> who actually does listen to our nonsense, write in if you want me and fucking Briggy to sit down and do a run through of like the first season of Sailor Moon. I will introduce him. If you like Sentai shows, you'd fucking love Sailor Moon.
0: Does it have a giant robot?
1: I swear there's an episode that does. What are the filler episodes? Because no I
0: giant think. robot would not really a Sentai.
1: They have an empire on the moon.
0: So did Power Rangers Zio.
1: Yeah, I'm saying, you <laughs> fucking like it. <laughs>
0: we'll get shot.
1: Also, there's uh, what's, weird cosmic what's, horror.
0: What's your thoughts on Genlock 4?
2: Okay, so... Is, is, I want to hear from you. Yeah, this is odd, but I really like the mechs. And I don't mean the mechs is in the robots. I mean the actual mech warrior style the mechs. The mech warrior ones, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're brilliant.
1: They're great. I want to see more of them. Yeah, They
0: are um, very very mech warrior
2: Ah, i was like oh this is really really awesome and the, the fighter plane again really awesome and then the weird
0: oh with the, the fan in the yeah. wing yeah that's it's cool design for a cool fight sequence and then also mm-hmm.
2: the, the weird bad guy alien. a dog has
1: joined us if you hear any weird thumping <laughs>
2: <laughs> the weird alien style um bad guy oh the spider tank
3: things yeah yeah oh, they were also awesome yes
2: um generally the design of everything has just been really well thought out in terms of like mm-hmm. vehicles and Also, and
1: I would say the mechs are incredibly well animated, all of them. Yeah. Which is much more difficult than it sounds. You'd think it'd be easier than human characters because oh they're mechanical, you don't have the same uncanny No, like they're very impressive. I'm
0: I'm just a little bit annoyed at the tease of the intro. Because you can see very clearly that the, the Hollands, as the makes are called, um, the, the, not the mech Warrior ones, but the more humanoid ones, you the can Gundams. see in the intro, yeah, the Gundam style ones, you can see in the intro, there's two very distinct versions of the Hollands, and you can see in episode two, with a sequence where you see the Hangar Bay, you might be able to see it in another episode as well, but definitely in episode two, is a very prominent sequence of the Hangar Bay, where you can see that they are frames, upon which the armour is placed on top of it. Eva style, so, yeah. but
1: less horrifying. Uh,
0: well, like Gundam style as well. <laughs> uh, so,
1: I've only watched bits yeah. of Eva and so Gundam.
0: So you can see the frames, you can see that the stuff goes on top of the frames, and the bit you see initially, when you see in the intro, with that awesome bang and tune by Battle Tapes in it, it's called Belgarth, it's awesome, uh, that you see the, the, the five of them in their colours, and it's the same framing with different highlights, which is what you see them use in the first episode as well, that particular armour. But then you see in the second half of the intro the more specialised, personalised versions of those frames, which tend to match what we can see as the characters' personalities. Where Chase, as a pilot, he's got the wings on the back and it's more streamlined looking. Um, I quite like uh, Maisie Williams' characters. It's, it's like a bunny on rollerblades. Eva. Uh, you can <laughs> see that the um, uh, the purple one, she's got the uh, sniper rifle and the the weird looking helmet to it and the um, the, the the stealth camouflage. Because like, she's Russian, it. get it? And um, and the Japanese guys like tauros style, like hot blooded mech. I'm like, yeah, those are really cool designs. But I know Mecha, and I knew how episode two was going to play out because I've watched enough sci-fi like, Mecha and Mecha in general. to how it was going to play out. Which means we aren't getting those cool looking mech frames for at least another two episodes. And I really want to see them in action, but I'm going to have to just deal with the fact that they're only in the intro for now because they're mm-hmm. really damn cool.
1: Oh, but we have that to look forward to, Briggy. We have oh, yeah. that to look forward to.
2: I mean, that's the other thing, is you can't just, like, blow your metaphorical load all in the first episode. <laughs> oh, yeah, but this a is...
1: Briggy the- can! Have you seen how he is about mechs? <laughs> mech- he this just the, blows his load probably, every day. This is the problem... Uh, well, I say problem, <laughs> but this is, like,
0: the, the, the traditional way that every mecha anime or mecha show happens in that first episode, is you know that there's a suit for whatever Gundam, for Evangelion, for, maybe not Evangelion, I can't remember Evangelion that well, I don't know if they like threw that trope away, but every other show that involves a giant robot, yeah. does the same trope for the first episode, which is you don't see, that giant robot, operate or do anything in any way, until the last couple of seconds of the very first episode, it's like, that's your shoot, even in the original Mobile Suit Gundam, Amro gets in the Gundam, and can't make it work... I've
1: seen that episode. ...until
0: right before the credits roll, and all it does is stand up and look cool.
1: I made Briggy watch the original game. Yeah,
0: so they essentially (laughs) did that in this one as well. You knew you weren't going to see their mechs until the very end of the episode, and they do, in fact, show up right towards the end, and you go, oh, you can see two of them, Lisa. They kind of, like, throw the trope around. And they got a cool action sequence. They got a bit of a cool action sequence, but yeah, you don't see them until the very end of that first episode. Now we've had an expositionary expositionary episode of episode two, which we needed... Because it's great and it does a lot of world building and, and a lot of character characters, work. But it means that in traditional Gundam sense or mecha sense, I mean, I don't know about the Ghost and Shell sort of stuff they're doing here, but mm. we aren't going to see an upgrade to those frames, in my opinion, until episode four or five.
1: I would probably even say five. I wouldn't be surprised, given the second episode was Oh, no, so not all of
0: them. We're not getting all of them in the same game. Oh, no, that's Chase what, is getting yeah. his first.
1: What it's going to happen What way. I would absolutely say also is that the second episode was so heavily dedicated to character, I wouldn't be surprised, even if not in episode three, which might be more of a world-building exposition thing, but if they then did another one for episode four, and they've got quite a lot of characters to juggle as well. I mean, technically, we haven't even seen the villain. Right. True. Like, we well, don't we even know, know we, we,
0: we, we know the ominous We know uh, there's union.
1: an... Yeah, we know they exist. And we um, know, which, know that they have which, sexy, sexy Spider-Max.
0: Shout out to my uh, Neil Asher sci-fi fans that read the Polity series, because I've been reading those for a while after Mike refer- um, told me about them, and especially, like, uh, the Transformation series, which starts with uh, Dark Intelligence. And it's the, that had been the first sci-fi series in which I'd heard... The term polity used for like a federation or empire or whatever they were going to use in that particular sci-fi series. When I saw the word polity pop up in this I'm like, huh, a second person or second team finally used the word polity to mean, you know, that team and the union of the bad guys so far.
1: One other thing I'd like to say is that just like with every other Ruth Teeth show... Cosplayers are gonna fucking love this. I was literally looking at a couple of those characters, being like, "Fuck, I need to get more into cosplay."
0: The base suits that they wear, are pretty very good, suits. and I with like the lighting, you yeah. can imagine
1: LED strip very lights. Tron. Yeah. But also, just with the kind of outfits that are so like color coded and distinctive and interesting for each of the main like pilots of the Mecha. Like, I can imagine somebody really going after, like, Miranda's outfit even.
0: I'm going to have to lose a lot of weight to cosplay as Chase. I was going to say...
1: Like an
2: arm and a a waist. I think you can do it, like, literally with a, a tank... (laughs) <laughs> and, like, you, 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 someone will do it because cosplay, yeah. and you'll have a tank, and then literally have like black material over half of them. I know how yeah. you
1: could do that. Like, yeah. speaking as somebody who's known a lot of people who've done black, like, cosplays with like blackout material, yeah, like, yeah, I know how you could do that. Someone
2: will
0: do a really good one at one it's point, it's
1: gonna be amazing. It will probably be yeah. Michael B. Jordan because he's a nerd, <laughs> but I could
2: just get a no- I mean, he has got the money to do it
1: as well. I could yeah.
0: just get a nosebleed and go as Sinclair. Oh, you'd have to cut your
1: hair though, Briggy. What in
0: hell, no exactly
1: <laughs> no I would love to do one as Maisie Williams character who I can't even remember the fucking name of but I just want to do her little robot buddy on my shoulder <laughs> god I gotta do more cosplay
0: Caliban would be a cool cosplay mm-hmm. yeah I, I want to know more about Caliban I mean we've seen him do a lot of stuff but he hasn't spoken or done anything other than do what he's told to so I want to know what the deal is with the, the, the friendly robot friend Because Robo-Bro was the best part of Lost in Space. And so uh, Caliban is our Robo-Bro. Robo-Bro
1: for you. Robo-Ho for me. You see that remake Robo guy? Like, I'm just saying. He had like (laughs) metal abs. It was weird. (laughs) But yeah, that's... uh... I'd fuck Caliban is what I'm saying. (laughs)
2: Just in case you missed that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So that's, uh, that's Genlock. That's you got to add to Genlock. That. James would fuck Caliban. This is why you invited me on the podcast for this kind of incisive content. <laughs> you, better not this, you better um, not cut this, You better cut
2: this. No, I'm not. I, I was going to say <laughs> the other thing which was nice is is the world building they did it with the family scene in the first episode. Yeah.
1: Oh, yes.
0: I like the we got a time skip that was an adequate amount of time. They weren't like, Oh, and a week later, like, no. <laughs> yeah. Four years later, like, oh shit, we've got some background to catch up on this series. Also,
1: well. I think the decision to start a series like that on like a very conventional family scene is quite brave like mm-hmm. the way that they were just like trusting that you'd get invested in these characters and sort of see it through to the eventual like well, fights think, battles I think they
0: you know they got enough hype behind them and yeah. enough goodwill behind Rooster Teeth that you were going to just sit and watch more than the first five minutes of that show but
1: I also think it added a lot like I even yeah. though we'd only had him for an episode I was genuinely like shit if Chase really is dead and I wasn't like saying that he was because I know how these shows go
0: well I rewatched it with you and was saying like yeah. I mean, yes, be I was he joking. was expensive
1: I I was joking back to you, but, you know, I was kind of like, I'm 75% sure he's going to come back in some capacity. I'm not 100% uh, how sure. How much would your
0: mind have been blown if he didn't come back in the first I episode? I would have been
1: surprised, but... Or um, but well, if he'd
2: come back at the very end of episode two, yeah, I would say... You're
1: like, oh, shit. But I would say that I really enjoyed the fact that they're willing to just have those quiet moments. Like, the bit with his sister, where they've got that perfect sibling back and forth. Mm. Where they're, like, refusing to say that they love each other, but then he winks at her and then she's like... Like, it's really, like, good character work. And it really helps cement you in, like, caring about them.
2: Yeah, and it made the actual danger seem that much more. Absolutely.
1: Like, when you see that he keeps trying to call his mother... And he keeps failing, but then you've also seen his mother look out and realise what's going on. Like, it's it's very simple storytelling, but it's also very effective storytelling, mm. and it's very emotional. I think
0: one of my favourite parts about it, one of the most interesting stuff, is the um, the screens in the background. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I and think one- for four years, the polity did very well to have lost less than half of the country to the Union. Yeah. That's, uh, was pretty good going. And like, uh, I expect that would have been like the map in uh, like four days after what happened to New York in episode one. They would look like they're going to just blaze their way through it. Listen,
1: but. it's like Ashley said: the Statue of Liberty goes down, yeah. you know, you know, you're fucked.
0: But they, uh, they got some fantastic fight scenes, both in mech, in aircraft, in person. Like it's. It felt like they were channeling Monty's early work, I think, the, from that um, second episode fight scene. It's great.
1: The um, plane fight scenes in the first episode are very A New Hope, Star Wars, yeah. Dodge Fights, and I really mm-hmm. enjoyed that. The designs of the ships aren't, like, they're much more kind of like alien jet kind of things. Maybe it's just because I've been reading a lot of um, Transformers comics recently, but they reminded me a lot of Transformers kind mm-hmm. of jet designs.
0: What, the Polity Jets? The, or the Union like drone jets? No, things. no, the Polity ones. Okay.
1: Yeah, no, with the kind of triangular yeah. shapes, they look like the Seekers on Cybertron. Um, again, I'm biased because I've been reading more than Meets the Eye, uh, the IDW comics yeah. recently. We should do, I should talk about that next episode because I've been reading a lot of Transformers comics. <laughs> but um, the actual kind of way that they staged the scene going in and out of the building is very A New Hope. It's very much like the Trench Run kind of thing, mm-hmm. but like writ large, and I really enjoyed that.
0: I think one of the things that bothers me, and it's, it's just something we we'll get used to having been a fan and following Rooster Teeth in general for so long, is the fight choreography, and, and especially the timing of the choreography as well, it it screams early ruby um early monty work on rvb not his later stuff that was a bit more outlandish but it's got that more grounded feel to it but it follows the tempo which is a thing monty was huge about like everything he did was it was, it was, like, orchestrated fighting. Like, it it's went to the music. martial but arts I, movie, fighting. Oh, he, he did it on a level I don't think anyone's ever going to be able to compare to. I've never seen it as good, since even though they've done some well, really good Well, you can't do attempts. it outside animation. Like, they, they I mean, even within Roosie, since Monty's death, no one's quite... I mean, they've done some good Well, like, Monty
1: was also musical, yeah. which I think probably helped.
0: But, but the th- that's the thing, though. They've always had really good uh, music to go along with it. And I think something that was missing from episode two's fight scene was I don't feel, like, the music was what I would expect from a Rooster Teeth production doing this sort of uh, animation and choreography to it. But I think that might not be a problem so much as me having to get over what I'm used to with other Rooster Teeth productions, because this is something clearly new and they're stretching out and mm-hmm. doing something different. But I definitely felt like it needed that Jeff Williams like hit to it, like uh, like or Casey Lee Williams involved. Because like, I'm so used to the mm-hmm. Ruby stuff and the, the Red vs. Blue stuff that they they got involved in. that This is... A different kind of like soundscape for those fights.
2: Okay. Oh, yeah. Now, I was just thinking when you were talking about the fight scenes, one of the things that is most impactful from them is you do get a sense of the gravity of those battles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with the actual, um, the, the actual um, spaceships, the actual the plane fights. There is a sense
0: of like. Right, they, the real... they, they do move like they're not in gravity. Those planes they yeah. look, they, they 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 move. They're
2: more Star like Wars
1: esque.
0: They move like like a traditional starfighter.
2: Because there's the bit where at one point where Michael B Jordan literally just hides behind a building. Oh,
1: and he hovers. Yeah. Oh, and he hovers vertically. That's so good.
0: And it was just amazing to see like the. It wasn't that for me. Like that seems like it would be like with those planes that they, the style of jet that they designed. That made sense to me. Like My brain didn't pick they that up as a thing that was a problem. They visually choreograph yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, but of the fans. But there's a part after that where he's meeting up with um, the squadron leader after he does the, the vertical flight thing and he you know, you know, waves at the guy in the building at the same time. Oh. As they meet up and you see them go back into formation, I can't describe it, but there's a specific... That entire sequence of them getting back into formation isn't what planes do. It is what I have seen in every single video game that yeah. involves no gravity and starfighters, like Star Citizen yeah. and all Elite and stuff. And I looked at that and went, It's that's because the fans are suffering the wings and they've got these different stuff, but clearly the like the animation style of it, the choice there was like, well, we've we've seen Starfighters, so it's like it's a it's a starfighter battle, but in Atmo. So yeah. Yeah. a little bit of it didn't drive all over me because I'm like, video games tell me that shouldn't be a thing because <laughs> they make a a huge deal out of Atmo being different to non Atmo, but it looked really cool. Yeah. So Ooh. rule of cool definitely like takes over.
2: Yeah, there's, there was a lot of that. I mean, one of the things that was like, not plot wholly, but was hard to retcon was the whole nanotech stuff because it did sort of become like magic, wave your hands, this, this will do this now for me, or it can do this. I and do. And it totally can get away with I doing whatever do it want to do. I do think
1: that's very shonen though. Yeah, I think it was very much an element where it was like, okay, we're in the kind of Yu Gi Oh early Gundam, <laughs> like, like just shonen that doesn't care too much. Yeah, but I do think that with the aesthetic, it can feel a little bit jarring because it doesn't yeah. have that kind of. It has a more technical aesthetic. Nanotech
0: is just hand waving. I mean, yeah.
1: <laughs> I mean, Nana Machine Sun. MGR, my favourite Metal Gear game but I'm really curious because you've had some interesting thoughts in the past in terms of like visual design and things like that I'm curious as to what you think about the visual design of the series as a whole
2: It's One of the things that's most surprising is considering how um, the actual the the focus on the military and Mm -hmm. the militarised things is the juxtaposition between that and then David Tennant's scientific character and it does sort of come off a little bit like like an anime where you would just say here's a crazy scientist guy yeah Uh, he's a trope yeah but rather than it being rather than being sort of like a a, a, like a clash it's almost like you assume that yeah it's
1: also like because they show him coming in as an outsider like he's very specifically they're saying he's going to embed with the military like they call attention to the fact that he's not military so, I, I, yeah, it's kind of one of those interesting things.
0: Yeah, so he's Rush <laughs> from Stargate Universe. No, he's
1: the Doctor. We all know that he's just the fucking 10th Doctor. He's
0: Rush from Stargate Universe. Or he's Rodney McKay from Stargate Atlantis. Or he's. Doctor Who? He's Daniel Jackson! <laughs> <laughs> he's a more like Daniel Jackson from SG1 yeah. everything comes right to Stargate it, guys it,
1: listen we all know Stargate was the best
0: show ever made and we, we need to just you know, I have never close. watched Stargate
1: but um, no that's not true I've watched Stargate Even. Universe I've watched Stargate Universe
0: <laughs> you watched the bad one
1: yes why would you just watch the bad one because I just that's when I started watching it <laughs> oh. I didn't like oh. it But anyway, going back to the visual design, I think something that's really interesting is I think that the character designs are just so well thought out and carefully considered. I was making jokes a lot that the visual style of the military stuff was very Mass Effect 3 because me and Briggy were watching it while Mm. talking about how we were going to be talking about Mass Effect in the podcast. But you do very much get that sense that they very carefully crafted, like, a consistent aesthetic for the military. And then every character that comes in from the outside, from the other pilots who are brought in from elsewhere, who have their own very individual designs. They're not only just color-coded, but also in terms of their silhouettes. And then you've got, like, um, what is it, Dr. Weller, uh, David yeah. Tennant's character name? He's got a very distinct aesthetic that is very not military. Even, like, just... they a- toys. Oh, I want toys so much! I want the Gundams! I want the Gundams so bad! <laughs> I need a
0: plan model kit of the toys, but I also need individual action figures of all of the main pilots. I mean,
1: I just think that the and visual, Weller.
0: like well, needs to be so on the shelf with them.
1: I want. I think that the visual aesthetic of the series is really strong. It's not like uniform, but when it breaks from its specific style, it does so with like very strong purpose. Mm. I'd be. Re- I'm really going to go home and look up who was doing design work for this show. Because I think that they did a really good job.
0: Yeah. I think Grey should be proud of himself. Like, super fucking proud. Because hes I don't think he's done anything as lead writer or showrunner for Rooster Tooth before. I think he's, he's worked extensively on Red vs. Blue, uh, especially the chorus saga. And he voiced Locus on that. And that was a great, great two to three seasons of Red vs. Blue. I know he's worked on Ruby in part... But this is considering that it's usually Kerry Sharcross and Miles Luna that are writing, directing, creating new shows like Camp Camp and 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 working on Ruby since Monty passed and the plethora of other shows. There's so many shows on, on Rooster Teeth that are worth that subscription for first. Um
1: yeah, I, I yeah, think hint,
0: I, hint. I mean, yeah, I, I support them because I like that. I'm not saying everyone <laughs> else should, but if you're gonna watch no, it. No, I just meant you gonna, you've been
1: telling yeah. me to get it.
0: But like it's 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 cool to see because when I heard that he was behind it, I was wondering what we were gonna get but i am so amazingly impressed that not only is it coming across so far as a good story but it doesn't feel like despite the fact that he's not been the main guy for any of these shows mm-hmm. we don't it doesn't feel like we're too far removed from what got Rooster Teeth to where they are now. Mm. It still feels like it has the trappings of later chorus era Red vs. Blue or or mid season three through to season five of Ruby. Like those main shows. Or the bits and pieces of Cam Camp that that Miles has worked on. Like you can see that humour and that style. A lot of it screams Rooster Teeth, and I, I think that's a good thing. I think having that imprint on them
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh, adds to it. I think uh, t- seeing a Rooster Teeth-styled something what? is always kind of fun. So having a Rooster Teeth mecha show, mm-hmm. it's it surpassed that expectation, and it kind of makes me happy that they're doing this, but, and I know it's a greedy thing to want, but I hope they do more shows that aren't just Genlock, but continue in this sort of style going, mm-hmm. oh, what's the next thing that we haven't done yet? If yeah. someone that Rooster Teeth has a good idea for the next... Thing because Mecca's great I'm happy we're going to get to like five seasons <laughs> minimum of this if not longer because Ruby's been going like six now and RVB's going for like season and this 18. one has
1: celebrities yeah, yeah. but so, um, one but thing it'd be
0: nice to see what they do after the Mecca one and go okay so now we're going to tackle this thing because it's it continues to be good and I'm continually impressed that it's not getting shit
1: one thing that I will say as well as somebody who doesn't follow rooster teeth as closely as you and isn't as familiar with a lot of the people who are kind of behind the scenes like if you told me that this was somebody's first outing is like straight up showrunner like I I would have I am very impressed because it doesn't feel like that it's a very confident couple of first episodes yeah it's got clear purpose clear direction it's got very strong character writing. It doesn't feel like somebody's first steps. It
0: this is, I'm pretty sure this is Gray's first show, and
1: he's doing yeah. really fucking because that is a difficult like I say, thing he, to do. To
0: my knowledge, yeah. he has worked extensively on the yeah. other shows as much as, but not, showrunner not is definitely different. definitely alongside Miles and Kerry who have been the two main showrunners for a lot a of stuff. Show, he's, this is like his first jump off. This to do is big a things. show
1: where the first couple of episodes have such a clear sense of tone. Purpose and like direction. Yeah. Like they are as good a first couple of episodes as you could expect in terms of just knowing where the show is trying to go. That is really difficult to get in the first couple of episodes, which are often written at the beginning of the process. You're making them without really knowing what you're doing. And so to have such a strong couple of first episodes, it's like, yeah, that's very impressive. No matter how much stuff you've worked on in the past, like to be directing that, that's very strong, creative work. And I'm really excited to see if it's going to just keep going up from here. And I really hope it does.
2: I'm, I'm looking forward to when they introduce the villain. Because yeah. the yeah. way they've approach, approached everything so far.
1: I actually think it's really impressive. We got two episodes in that were really engaging and they didn't even have to show us the villain. Yeah. That's tricky. Like, it's not even just like, oh, they haven't even shown us the villain yet. It's kind of like, we're engaged and we don't even know who the villain is. Like, that's impressive. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm definitely on board to see how it pans out. Uh, if, uh, unlike the other shows that we watch on the show where we kind of leave it up to you to just figure out how you're going to watch them. Um, because this is an internet show and we're on the internet we, mm-hmm. it's kind of easier to explain uh, how to start watching Genlock if you haven't watched it before this wellerific episode for the first two episodes um, you can get it on roosterteeth.com which i will be in the links in the show notes but it's um, it's available for first members a week before it's available for the general mm-hmm. public so if you want to watch it as it's coming out straight away that will be their subscription service which I already recommend for getting their perks for that and we'll- but if you are willing to wait a Week later, so it's every Saturday, it will go up for free. Unfortunately, by the time, if I work out the times for this, by the time this episode comes out and you're hearing it right now, they will be on episode, episode, five? Five? episode five for first members and episode four for general public.
1: One thing I will also say is that the wonderful thing about this is that it's a situation where you're very much like, supporting the creators very directly like it's an independently i know that we've spoken about this like rooster teeth obviously has outside funding they're no longer a totally independent company but it is still very much a situation where it's like your support for streaming the show is like what supports the show so even if you don't go for a first membership i would say it's worth not pirating it to get it a week early You know, I'm not going to take some kind of moral high ground here, but like supporting independent creators that make interesting work online that probably wouldn't make it to a mainstream Western network otherwise. Like, wait the extra week if you're not going to pay, go watch it, give them the views, show that there's an interest in this kind of independent production that does stuff that like a lot of networks just wouldn't touch
0: honestly I always do the same thing when it comes to shows any shows really if you make it easy enough and, mm-hmm. and convenient enough for me to give you money to watch a thing and I'll always thing. do that and, and Roosteeth they make it are easy are on par with things like Netflix or Amazon they make Prime. it it's easy st- it's st- so stupid easy to like legitimately pay for this stuff I was like yeah. eh I or might even as well
1: if you don't want to pay it's easy to give them view count just yeah. wait an extra week avoid spoilers on Twitter you know it's the kind of thing where it's like you know I want to see this kind of shit and you know it, it's something that we we want to see more of we want to see more situations where people are capable of making stuff that is outside like a really rigid studio system and so it's kind of this thing where i'm like you know support creators that are making stuff that they couldn't necessarily get outside funding for mm.
0: so in summary if you didn't quite get that we all really Watch fucking it. like Gen-lock. <laughs>
1: Genlock was great, and, 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 and the l- only thing we all agree on.
0: <laughs> if anything, unless it gets really bad for out of nowhere for no reason, we're probably going to finish watching this entire season as it happens. So yeah. I think we'll reconvene at the end of season one and have just a big old... Talk about how much we loved Genlock. Unless Briggy, it goes
2: horribly wrong. Unless, um, it,
0: unless it Mass Effect 3s me. <laughs>
1: and, I mean, Briggy has the fucking rooster teeth first thing, so I'm just going to be hijacking that We're having yeah. viewing parties. We'll have
0: viewing parties. We'll live tweet it or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so that that was an episode. Uh, we talked about a lot of stuff.
1: We did the thing. Well yep. done, us. Um,
0: as some people might notice, we're now available in a whole plethora of places, but as of recording this episode, iTunes still hasn't gotten back to me. Like, Apple, you want to like do something about that? Because... You're the only one now. Everyone else, we're on there. We're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're on Anchor, we're on uh, Breaker.
1: If by the time this comes out, If you are listening to this and you enjoyed it and it's on iTunes because Apple finally got back to us, please do leave us a review on iTunes because they are very algorithmically obsessed with reviews. It is well known amongst podcasters that the single most important thing is whether people leave you reviews on iTunes. So in the unlikely event that they bother to get back to us, please do leave us a review, whether you enjoyed it or not. Just be honest, you know, we can probably spin the bad reviews as, you know, PR.
0: (laughs) Yeah, wherever you listen to us, do whatever they do and if, we, the if iTunes we're the one on, is very yeah,
1: important if we're not on
0: your favourite distribution platform let us know and I'll endeavour to get us submitted to even more places for us to syndicate also, uh, and to do that you can contact us on Twitter at the Geeks Codex uh, we are also available through our email address which is podcast at geekscodex.net and you can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash geekscodex we are in all of those places and hopefully more mm. when I figure out what social media the kids are using these days is Snapchat still a thing? Tweet,
1: what about Instagram? Tweet inappropriate things. I got given the tweet, uh, the Twitter login, and I'm just saying, I know more than old man Briggy.
0: Get off my digital lawn. So that's been an episode. Um, I was joined once again this week by Paul Stevens. Uh, goodbye. <laughs> very very well spoken you there. And also joined by James
1: Cook. You know you love me.
0: I've been your ever-present host Matthew Briggs, and we'll see you in the next episode. I survived this one without coughing too much. Yay.
2: Well done. (laughs) You get a Mass Effect free.
1: It's good now. (laughs) We fixed it. We did it, everybody.